Welcome to another episode of Corona Cold Reads, my entertainment world's answer to social isolation. Every Tuesday and Saturday evening at 7 p.m. Eastern, we're getting together on YouTube Live to broadcast a cold reading of a Shakespeare play. Our actors run the gamut from um, non-professional actors to some of the biggest names in uh, North American classical theater. Um, But what we all have in common is just a really genuine love of Shakespeare and in these uncertain, really genuinely scary times, um, what makes us feel better is getting together and listening to the text and exploring these stories together. So hopefully these episodes will bring you comfort as well, and you'll enjoy them as much as we enjoyed recording them. Um, All of the videos are available on our YouTube channel, which you just search My Entertainment World, um, as well as on our website, myentertainmentworld.ca, where you can find the full cast lists, um, as well as lots of other articles and all of our other content that we have going up all the time. Um, also, you should follow us on social media, uh, Twitter and Instagram. It's both my ent world, my ENT world. Um, there you'll see, be able to see highlights from all of the recordings, um, as well as you can get the links to watch us live. Um, But we also have all sorts of content created just specifically for those platforms. In addition to, um, that's where you can find links to all of our website content as well, which is myentertainmentworld.ca. The videos do stay up after the live recording, so you can watch them after the fact, or you can catch the audio version in the podcast feed, um, which is you just search My Entertainment World in uh, iTunes, and there you'll find all of our different podcast series where we have the favorite series, the Shakespeare series, the nominee interview series, uh, Corona Cold Reads, Corona Movie Club, Season 1, Episode 1, and the My Entertainment World podcast. Um, Tons of different things happening. There's never been a better time to subscribe to our podcast. We have so much content happening right now. Um, but you're here for Corona Cold Reads for Shakespeare. Um, so these are cold reads for the most part. Uh, our actors n- did not have more than a day, maybe two, if they're lucky, um, to look over the text if they wanted to. Most of them didn't have the chance to, so it is just them sitting down and reading it cold. Um, so you'll you'll be able to hear that there will be some rocky moments and sometimes when we may have to pause and um, wonder why somebody's got their zoom on mute or you know how things happen. Um, we're all adjusting to these new technologies to cope with what we're going through right now. So I hope you enjoy. So today we start our Henriad history cycle. Um, This was a project we took on through the course of May, although these are obviously being published in audio form well after the fact. Um, But we took the whole, there's eight plays in Shakespeare's history cycle. So we took the whole month um, since we do two a week and did a sort of totally encapsulated history cycle from Richard II to Richard III, which sounds like they're back-to-back. They are not. There are six plays about various people named Henry that fall in the middle. Um, But this is the first episode. It is Richard II. Um, It's a sort of play that it's it seems it's quite long and poetic. It's very, very wordy, um, difficult to follow. But in practice, it's actually really, really beautiful, and there's a lot there. Um, and it was one of the great surprises of the reading series so far because it reads really well. Um, it's tricky to stage because it is so wordy, um, but it reads really well. You don't even have to really sit down and study it and like mine it for all the great metaphors that are there. Um, but you can get it even just by sitting and listening to it. Um, it's not as dense as it sort of pretends to be. Um, there's some really 
captivating characters in it. Um, and it sets up the cycle really beautifully. Uh, I was really surprised by how much I enjoyed this play. Um, so the lead in this one is taken on by Christopher Prentice. Um, and th- what you'll start to notice this is the first time where you'll start to see uh, recurring characters. Um, one of the things that marks the history cycle and one of the things we were really excited to do with the history cycle was this idea of um, actors recurring in the same role uh, and growing up with characters over the course of a few episodes. Um, so the carryover from Richard II uh, isn't one of the ones you can see that as clearly. Um, eventually, when we start to get into the Henry IVs, you'll see that a bit more. But um, with Richard II, you you certainly, one off the top of my head is uh, Shailen McFall's Northumberland. This is her first appearance, and she'll be in at least three um, so you'll see a lot of the same cast, obviously, from from play to play, but this is where you'll really start to notice them playing the same character multiple times. Um, so that's really interesting. There's also a billion characters in the history cycles, um, so you have to pay a lot of attention to um, the, a lot of people will be playing multiple roles. Uh, which can be tricky. It's a little clearer on the video version because our actors have really embraced the uh, hat lifestyle. <laughs> um, so they they swap out hats and have costumes and all sorts of things. In one of our plays, uh, they all do very different accents for each character. Um, so you do have to pay a lot of attention, um, play, pay close attention in the histories because we do have um, single actors playing multiple characters, but then we also have single actors playing the same character over multiple plays or some actors appearing in multiple plays as different characters. There are ghosts. It's a whole thing. Uh, so it's a little complicated. I suggest paying a lot of attention, but I'm really excited to kick off the history cycle in audio form with Richard II, um, which is a really special play, really underrated play. So I hope you enjoy it. Old John of Gaunt, time-honored Lancaster, hast thou, according to thy oath and ban, brought hither Henry Hereford, thy bold son, here to make good the boisterous late appeal, which then our leisure would not let us hear, against the Duke of Norfolk, Thomas Mowbray? I have my leash. Tell me, moreover, hast thou sounded him, if he appeal the Duke on ancient malice, or worthily, as a good subject should, on some known ground of treachery in him? As near as I could sift him on that argument, on some apparent danger seen in him aimed at your highness, no inveterate malice. Then call them to our presence. Face to face and frowning brow to brow, ourselves will hear the accuser and the accused freely speak. High-stomached are they both and full of ire. In rage, deaf is the sea, hasty as fire. Enter Henry Bolingbroke and Thomas Mowbray. Yeah, You're on mute. Of course. <laughs> Many years of happy days befall my gracious sovereign, my most loving liege. Each day still better others' happiness until the heavens, envying earth, earth's good hap, add an immortal title to your crown. We thank you both. Yet one but flatters us, as well appeareth, by the cause you come, namely to appeal each other of high treason. Cousin of Hereford, what dost thou object against the Duke of Norfolk, Thomas Mowbray? First, heaven be the record to my speech. In the devotion of a subject's love, tendering the precious safety of my prince, and free from other misbegotten hate, come I appellant to this princely presence. Now, Thomas Mowbray, 
do I turn to thee and mark my greeting well, for what I speak, my body shall make good upon this earth, or my divine soul answer it in heaven. Thou art a traitor and a miscreant, too good to be so and too bad to live. Since the more fair and crystal is the sky, the uglier seem the clouds that in it fly. Once more, the more to aggregate, aggravate the note, with a foul traitor's name, stuff I thy throat. And wish so please my sovereign ere I move, what my tongue speaks my right-drawn sword may prove. Let not my cold words here accuse my zeal. Tis not the trial of a woman's war. The bitter clamor of two eager tongues can arbitrate this cause betwixt us twain. The blood is hot that must be cooled for this. Yet can I not of such tame patience boast as to be hushed and not at all to say. First, the fair reverence of your highness curbs me from giving reins and spurs to my free speech, which else would post until it had returned these terms of treason doubled down his throat. Setting aside his high blood's royalty, and let him be no kinsman to my liege, I do defy him, and I spit at him, call him a slanderous coward and a villain, which to maintain, I would allow him odds and meet him, were I tied to run afoot even to the frozen ridges of the Alps, or any other ground inhabitable, where ever Englishman durst set his foot. Meantime, let this defend my loyalty. By all my hopes, most falsely doth he lie. Pale, trembling coward, there I throw my gauge, disclaiming here the kindred of the king, and lay aside my high blood's royalty, which fear, not reverence, makes thee to accept. If guilty dread have left thee so much strength as to take up mine honor's pawn, then stoop. By that and all the rights of knighthood else will I make... Good against thee, arm to arm, what I have spoke, or thou canst worse devise. I take it up, and by that sword I swear, which gently laid my knighthood on my shoulder, I'll answer thee in any fair degree or chivalrous design of knightly trial, and when I mount, alive may I not lie if I be traitor or unjustly fight. What doth our cousin lay to Mowbray's charge? It must be great that can inherit us so much as of a thought of ill in him. Look, what I speak, my life shall prove it true, that Mowbray hath received 8,000 nobles in name of lendings for your highness's soldiers, which he hath detained for lewd employments, like a false traitor and injurious villain. Besides, I say, and will it, battle, will it in battle prove, or here or elsewhere, to the further verge that ever was surveyed by English eye, that all the treasons for this these 18 years, complotted and contrived in this land, fetch from false Mowbray their first head and spring. Further, I say, and further will maintain, upon his bad life to make all this good, that he did plot the Duke of Gloucester's death, suggest his soon-believing adversaries, and consequently, like a traitor coward, sluiced out his innocent soul through streams of blood, which blood, like sacrificing Abel's cries, even more from the tongueless caverns of the earth, to me for justice and rough chastisement, and by the glorious worth of my descent, this arm shall do it, or this life be spent. How high a pitch his resolution soars! Thomas of Norfolk, what sayest thou to this? Oh, let my sovereign turn away his face and bid his ears a little while be deaf till I have told this slander of his blood. How God and good men hate so foul a liar. Mowbray, impartial are our eyes and ears. Were he my brother, 
Nay, my kingdom's heir, as he is but my father's brother's son, now my scepter's awe, I make a vow. Such neighbor nearness to our sacred blood should nothing privilege him, nor partialize the unstooping firmness of my upright soul. He is our subject, Mowbray, so art thou. Free speech and fearless I to thee allow. Then, Bolingbroke, as low as to thy heart, through the false passage of thy throat thou liest. Three parts of that receipt I had for Calais dispersed I duly to his highness's soldiers. The other part reserved I, by consent, for that my liege was in my debt upon remainder of a dear account. Since last I went to France to fetch his queen. Now swallow down that lie. For Gloucester's death, I I slew him not. To my own disgrace, neglected my sworn duty in that case. For you, my noble lord of Lancaster, the honorable father to my foe, once did I lay in ambush for your life, a trespass that doth vex my grieved soul. But ere I last received the sacrament, I did confess it, and exactly begged your grace's pardon, and I hope I had it. This is my fault. As for the rest appealed, it issues from the rancor of a villain a recreant and most degenerate traitor, which in myself I boldly will defend, and interchangeably hurl down my gauge upon this overweening traitor's foot to prove myself a loyal gentleman, even in the best blood chambered in the bosom. In haste whereof, most heartily I pray your highness to assign our trial day. Wrath kindled, gentlemen, be ruled by me. Let's purge this collar without letting blood. This we prescribe, though no physician... Deep malice makes too deep incision. Forget, forgive, conclude, and be agreed. How doctors say this is no month to bleed. Good uncle, let this end where it begun. We'll calm the Duke of Norfolk, you your son. To be a make-peace shall become my age. Throw down, my son, the Duke of Norfolk's gage. And Norfolk, throw down his. When, Harry, when? Obedience bids I should not bid again. Norfolk, throw down. We bid. There is no boot. Myself I throw, dread sovereign, at thy foot. My life thou shalt command, but not my shame. The one my duty owes, but my fair name, despite of death that lives upon my grave, to dark dishonor's use thou shalt not have. I am disgraced. Impeached and baffled here, pierced to the soul with slander's venomed spear, the which no balm can cure but his heart blood which breathed this poison. Rage must be withstood. Give me his gauge. Lions make leopards tame. Yea, but not change his spots. Take but my shame, and I resign my gauge. My dear, dear lord, the purest treasure mortal times afford is spotless reputation. That away, men are but gilded loam or painted clay. A jewel in a ten times barred up chest is a bold spirit in a loyal breast. Mine honor is my life. Both grow in one. Take honor from me and my life is done. Then, dear my liege, mine honor let me try. In that I live, and for that will I die. Uh, Cousin, throw up your gauge. Do you begin? O God, defend my soul from such deep sin. Shall I seem crestfallen in my father's sight? Or with pale beggar fear impeach my height before this outdared dastard? Ere my tongue shall wound my honor with such feeble wrong. 
Where sounds so base a parlay, my teeth shall tear the slavish motive of recanting fear and split it bleeding in his high disgrace where shame doth harbor even in Mowbray's face. Exit John of Gaunt. We were not born to sue but to command, which since we cannot do to make you friends, be ready as your lives shall answer it at Coventry upon St. Lambert's Day. There shall your swords and lances arbitrate the swelling difference of your settled hate. Since we cannot atone you, we shall see justice design the victor's chivalry. Lord Marshal, command our officers-at-arms be ready to direct these home alarms. Exit. Scene two, the Duke of Lancaster's palace entered John of Gaunt and the Duchess. Alas, the part I had in Woodstock's blood doth more solicit me than your exclaims to stir against the butchers of his life. <sighs> but since correction lieth in those hands which made the fault that we cannot correct, put we our quarrel to the will of heaven, who, when they see the hours ripe on earth, will rain hot vengeance on offenders' heads. Finds brotherhood in thee no sharper spur? Hath, no, hath love in thine old blood no living fire? Edward's seven sons, whereof thyself art one, were as seven vials of his sacred blood, or seven fair branches springing from one root. Some of those seven are dried by nature's course, some of those branches by the destinies cut. But Thomas, my dear Lord, my life, my Gloucester, one vial full of Edward's sacred blood, one flourishing branch of his most royal root is cracked, and all the precious liquor split, spilt is hacked down and his summer leaves all faded by envy's hand and murder's bloody axe. Ah, God, his blood was thine. That bed, that wound, womb, that metal, that self-mold that fashioned thee made him a man. And though thou livest and breathest, yet art thou slain in him? Thou dost consent in some large measure to thy father's death, in that thou seest thy wretched brother die who was the model of thy father's life. Call it not patience gaunt, it is despair. In suffering thus thy brother to be slaughtered, thou showest the naked pathway to thy life, teaching stern murder how to butcher thee. That which in mean men we entitle patience is cold cow pale cold cowardice in noble breasts. What shall I say? To safeguard thine own life, the best way is to avenge my Gloucester's death. God's is the quarrel, for God's substitute, his deputy, anointed in his sight, hath caused his death. The which, if wrongfully, let heaven revenge, for I may never lift an angry arm against his minister. Where then, alas, may I complain myself? To God, the widow's champion and defense. Why, then I will. Farewell, old Gaunt. Thou goest to Coventry, there to behold our cousin Hereford in the fell Mowbray fight. Oh, sit my husband's wrong on Hereford's spear, that it may enter, enter butcher Mowbray's breast, or if misfortune miss the first career, be Mowbray's sins so heavy in his bosom they may break his foaming courser's back and throw the rider headlong in the lists, a cat of recreant to my cousin Hereford. Farewell, all gaunt. Thy sometimes brother's wife with her companion grief must end her life. Sister, farewell. I must to Coventry. As much good stay with thee as go with me. Yet one word, one word more. Grief boundeth where it falls, not with the emptiness, empty hollowness, but wait. I take my leave 
before I have begun, for sorrow ends not when it seemeth done. Commend me to thy brother, Edmund York. Lo, this is all. Nay, yet depart not so, though this be all, do not so quickly go. I shall remember more. Bid him, uh, what, with all good speed at Plashy visit me. Alack, and what good old York there, there see, but empty lodging and unfurnished walls, unpeopled offices and trodden stones. And what here for welcome but my groans, therefore commend me. Let him not come there to seek out the sorrow that dwells everywhere. Desolate, desolate, will I hence and die? The last leave of thee takes my weeping eye. Exent. Scene three, the lists at Coventry, under the Lord Marshal and the Duke of Omeral. My Lord Omeral, is Harry Hereford armed? Uh, yay, with all points, and longs to enter in. The Duke of Norfolk, sprightly, spritefully and bold, stays but the summons of the apple's trumpet. Why, then the champions are prepared, and stay for nothing but his majesty's approach. The trumpets sound, and King Richard enters with his nobles, John of Gaunt, Bushy, Bagot, Green, and others. When they are set, enter Thomas Mowbray in arms, defendant with a herald. Marshal, demand of yonder champion the cause of his arrival here in arms. Ask him his name, and orderly proceed to swear him in the justice of his cause. In God's name, and the kings, say who thou art, and why thou comest thy night, thus knightly clad in arms, against what man thou comest, and what thy quarrel. Speak truly on the knighthood and thy oath, and so defend thee heaven and thy valor. My name is Thomas Mowbray, Duke of Norfolk, who hither come engaged by my oath, which God defend a knight should violate, both to defend my loyalty and truth to God, my king, and my succeeding issue, against the Duke of Hereford that appeals me, and, by the grace of God and this mine arm, to prove him in defending of myself a traitor to my God, my king, and me. And as I truly fight, defend me heaven. The trumpets sound. Enter Henry Bolingbroke, appellant in armor with a herald. Marshal, ask yonder knight in arms both who he is and why he cometh hither, thus plated in habiliments of war, and formally, according to our law, depose him in the justice of his cause. What is thy name, and wherefore comest thou hither? before King Richard in his royal lists. Against whom comest thou, and what's thy quarrel? Speak like a true knight, so defend thee heaven. Harry of Hereford, Lancaster, and, Derb and Derby, am I, who ready here do stand in arms to prove by God's grace and my body's valor in lists on Thomas Mowbray, Duke of Norfolk, that he is a traitor, foul and dangerous, to God of heaven, King Richard, and to me. And as I truly fight, defend me heaven. On pain of death, no person be so bold or daring hardy as to touch the lists, except the marshal and such off offers uh, appointed to the direct to direct these fair designs. Lord Marshal, let me kiss my sovereign's hand and bow my knee before his majesty. Oh, shit, sorry. <laughs> all good, all good. Lord Marshal, let me kiss my sovereign's hand <laughs> and bow my knee before his majesty. For Mowbray and myself are like two men that vow a long and weary pilgrimage. And let us take a ceremonious leave and loving farewell of our several friends. The appellant in all duty greets your highness and craves to kiss your hand and take his leave. We will descend and fold him in our arms. Cousin of Hereford, as thy cause is right, so be thy fortune in this royal fight. 
Farewell, my blood, which if today thou shed, lament we may, but not revenge thee dead. O oh, let no noble eye profane a tear for me, if I be gored with Marbury's spear. As confident as is the falcon's flight against a bird, do I with Mowbray fight. My loving lord, I take my leave of you, of you, my noble cousin, Lord Amaro, not sick, although I have to do with death, but lusty, young, and cheerly drawing breath. Lo, as at English feasts, so I regreet the daintiest last to make the end most sweet. O thou, the earthly author of my blood, whose youthful spirit in my regenerate doth with a twofold vigor lift me up to reach a victory above my head and proof unto mine armor with thy, with thy prayers. And with the blessings steal my lance's point that it may enter Mowbray's waxen coat and furbish new the name of John Agaunt, even in the lusty havior of his son. God in thy good cause make thee prosperous. Be swift like lightning in the execution, and let thy blows, doubly redoubled, fall like amazing thunder on the cask of thy adverse pernicious enemy. Rouse up thy youthful blood, be valiant, and live. Mine innocency and St. George to thrive. However God or fortune cast my lot, there, lives or dies, true to King Richard's throne, a loyal, just, and upright gentleman. Never did captive with a freer heart cast off his chains of bondage and embrace his golden uncontrolled enfranchisement more than my dancing soul doth celebrate this feast of battle with mine adversary. Most mighty liege and my companion peers, take from my mouth the wish of happy years as gentle and as jocund to the jest go I to fight. Truth hath a quiet breast. Farewell, my lord. Securely I espy virtue with valor couched in thine eye. Order the trial, Marshal, and begin. Harry of Hereford, Lancaster, and Derby, receive thy lance, and God defend the right. Strong as a tower in hope, I cry amen. Go bear this lance to Tomek, Thomas, Duke of Norfolk. Harry of Hereford, Lancaster, and Derby, stands here for God, his sovereign and himself, on pain to be found false and recreant, to prove the Duke of Norfolk, Thomas Mowbray, a traitor to his God, his king and him, and dares him to set forward to the fight. Here standeth Thomas Mowbray, Duke of Norfolk, on pain to be found false and recreant, both to defend himself and to approve Henry of Hereford, Lancaster and Derby, to God his sovereign and to him disloyal, courageously and with a free desire attending but the signal to begin. Sound trumpets and set forward combatants. Stay, the king hath thrown his <laughs> Stay, the king hath, hath thrown his warder down. Let them lay by their helmets and their spears and both return back to their chairs again. Withdraw with us and let the trumpets sound while we return these dukes what we decree. <laughs> Draw near and list what with our counsel we have done. For that our kingdom's earth should not be soiled with that dear blood which it hath fostered, and for our eyes do hate the dire aspect of civil wounds plowed up with neighbor's sword, 
And for we think the eagle-winged pride of sky-aspiring and ambitious thoughts with rival-hating envy set on you to wake our peace, which in our country's cradle draws the sweet infant breath of gentle sleep, which so roused up with boisterous, untuned drums, with harsh, resounding trumpets, dreadful bray, and grating shock of wrathful iron arms, might from our quiet confines fright fair peace and make us wade even in our kindred's blood. Therefore. We banish you, our territories. You, cousin Hereford, upon pain of life, till twice five summers have enriched our fields, shall not regret our fair dominions, but tread the stranger paths of banishment. Your will be done. This must my comfort be. Sun that warms you here shall shine on me. And those his golden beams to you here lent shall point on me and gild my banishment. Norfolk, for thee remains a heavier doom, which I with some unwillingness pronounce. The sly, slow hours shall not determinate the dateless limit of thy dear exile. The hopeless word of never to return breathe I against thee upon pain of life. A heavy sentence my most sovereign liege, and all unlooked for from your highness' mouth, a, a dearer merit, not so deep a maim as to be cast forth in the common air, have I deserved at your highness' hands. The language I have learned these forty years, my native English, now I must forego, and now my tongue's use is to me no more than an unstringed viol or harp, or like a cunning instrument cased up, or being open, put into his hands that knows no touch to tune the harmony. Within my mouth you have enjailed my tongue, doubly portcullised with my teeth and lips, and dull, unfeeling, barren ignorance has made my jailer to attend on me. I am too old to fawn upon a nurse, too far in years to be a pupil now. What is thy sentence then but speechless death, which robs my tongue from breathing native breath? It boots thee not to be compassionate. After our sentence, plaining comes too late. Then thus I turn me from my country's light to dwell in solemn shades of endless night. Return again and take an oath with thee. Lay on our royal sword your banished hands. Swear by the duty that you owe to God, our part therein we banish with yourselves to keep the oath that we administer. You never shall so help you truth and God embrace each other's love in banishment nor never look upon each other's face, nor never write, regret, nor reconcile this lowering tempest of your home-bred hate, nor never by advised purpose meet to plot, contrive, or complot any ill against us, our state, our subjects, or our land. I swear. And I to keep all this. Norfolk, so far as to mine enemy... By this time, had the king permitted us, one of our souls had wandered in the air. Banish this frail sepulcher of our flesh, as now our flesh is banished from this land. Confess thy treasons ere thou fly the realm. Since thou hast far to go, bear not along the clogging burthen of a guilty soul. No, Bolingbroke. If ever I were traitor, my name be blotted from the book of life, and I from heaven banished as from hence. But what thou art... God, thou, and I do know, and all too soon, I fear, the king shall rue. Farewell, my liege. 
Now no way can I stray save back to England. All the world's my way. Exit. Uncle, even in the glasses of thine eyes I see thy grieved heart. Thy sad aspect hath from the number of his banished years plucked four away. Six frozen winters spent return with welcome home from banishment. How long a time lies in one little word. Four lagging winters and four wanton springs end in a word. Such is the breath of kings. I thank my liege that in regard of me, he shortens four years of my son's exile. But little vantage shall I reap thereby, for ere the six years that he hath to spend can change their moons and bring their times about, my oil-dried lamp and time-bewasted light shall be extinct with age and endless night. My inch of taper will be burnt and done, and blindfold death not let me see my son. Why, uncle, thou hast many years to live. But not a minute, king, that thou canst give. Shorten my days, thou canst, with sullen sorrow, and pluck nights from me, but not lend a morrow. Thou canst help time to furrow me with age, but stop no wrinkle in his pilgrimage. Thy word is current with him for my death, but dead thy kingdom cannot buy my breath. Thy son is banished upon good advice, whereto thy tongue a party verdict gave. Why at our justice seems thou then to lower? Things sweet to taste prove in digestion sour. You urged me as a judge, but I had rather you would have bid me argue like a father. Oh, had it been a stranger, not my child. To smooth his fault, I should have been more mild. A partial slander sought I to avoid, and in the sentence my own life destroyed. Alas, I looked when some of you should say I was too strict to make mine own way, but you gave me leave to my unwilling tongue against my will to do myself this wrong. Cousin, farewell, and uncle bid him so. Six years we banish him, and he shall go. Cousin. King Richard II and train. Cousin, farewell. What presence must not know from where you do remain let paper show. My lord, no leave take I, for I will ride as far as the land will let me by your side. Oh, to what purpose dost thou hoard thy words, that thou returnest no greeting to thy friends? I have too few to take my leave of you, when the, young, when the tongue's office should be prodigal to breathe the abundant dollar of the heart. Thy grief is but thy absence for a time. Joy absent, grief is present for that time. What is six winters? They are quickly gone. Two men enjoy, but grief makes one hour ten. I'd call it a travail that thou takest for pleasure. My heart will sigh when I miscall it so, which finds it in an enforced pilgrimage. The sullen passage of thy weary steps, esteem as foil wherein thou art to set the precious jewel of thy home return. Nay, rather, every tedious stride I make will but remember me what a deal of world I wander from the jewels that I love. Must I not serve a long apprenticehood to foreign passages and in the end, having my freedom boasting of nothing else but that I was a journeyman to grief? 
All places that the eye of heaven visits are to a wise man ports and happy havens. Teach thy necessity to reason thus. There is no virtue like necessity. Think not the king did banish thee, but thou the king. Woe doth the heavier sit where it perceives it is faintly born. Go, say I. Say, say I sent thee forth to purchase honor, and not the king exiled thee, or suppose devouring pestilence hangs in our air, and thou art flying to a fresher clime. Look what thy soul holds dear. Imagine it to lie that way thou goest, not whence thou comest. Suppose the singing birds and musicians, the grass whereon thou treadst, the presents strewed, the flowers, fair ladies, and thy steps no more than a delightful measure or a dance. For gnarling sorrow hath less power to bite the man that mocks at it and sets it light. Oh, who can hold a fire in his hand by thinking on the frosty Caucasus? Or cloy the hungry edge of appetite by bare imagination of a feast? Or wallow naked in December snow by thinking on fantastic summer's heat? Oh no, the apprehension of the good gives but the greater feeling to the worse. Fell sorrow's tooth doth never rankle more than when he bites, but lanceth not the sore. Come, come, my son, I'll, I'll bring thee on thy way. Had I thy youth and cause, I would not stay. Then England's ground, farewell. Sweet soil, adieu, my mother and my nurse, that bears me yet. Where I'd wander, boast of this I can, though banished yet a true-born Englishman. Exunt, scene four, the court. Enter King Richard II with Bagot and Green at one door, and the Duke of Omerl at another. We did observe. Cousin Omerl, how far brought you High Hereford on his way? I brought High Hereford, if you call him so, but to the next highway, and there I left him. And say, what store of parting tears were shed? Faith, uh, none for me, except the northeast wind, which then blew bitterly against our faces, awaked the sleeping room, and so by chance did grace our hollow parting with a tear. <laughs> what said our cousin when you parted with him? Farewell, and for my heart disdained that my tongue should so profane the word that taught me craft to counterfeit oppression with, of such grief, that words seem buried in my sorrow's grave. Mary, would the word farewell have lengthened hours and added years to his short banishment? He should have had a volume of farewells, but since it would not, he had none of me. Hmm. He is our cousin, cousin. But tis doubt when time shall call him home from banishment whether our kinsmen come to see his friends. Ourself and Bushy, Bagot here and Green, observed his courtship to the common people. How he did seem to dive into their hearts with humble and familiar courtesy. What reverence he did throw away on slaves, wooing poor craftsmen but the craft of smiles, and patient underbearing of his fortune, as twere to banish their effects with him. Off goes his bonnet to an oyster winch. A brace of draymen bid God speed him well, and had the tribute of his supple knee. With thanks, my countrymen, my loving friends, as were our England in revision his, and he our subjects next to degree and hope. Well, he is gone, and with him go these thoughts. Now for the rebels which stand out in Ireland, expedient manage must be made, my liege, ere further leisure yield them further means for their 
advantage and your highness's loss. We will ourself in person to this war. And for our coffers, with too great a court and liberal largesse are grown somewhat light, we are enforced to farm our royal realm, the revenue whereof shall furnish us for our fares in hand. If that come short, our substitutes at home shall have blank charters, whereto, when they shall know what men are rich, they shall subscribe them for large sums of gold and send them after to supply our wants. For we will make for Ireland presently. Enter Bushy. Bushy, what news? Old John of Gaunt is grievous sick, my lord, suddenly taken, and hath sent, and hath sent post haste to entreat your majesty to visit him. Where lies he? At Ellie House. Now put it, God, in the physician's mind to help him to his grave immediately. The lining of his coffers shall make coats to deck our soldiers for these Irish wars. Come, gentlemen, let's all go visit him. Pray God we make haste and come too late. Amen. Amen. Exunt. Act two, scene one, the Ely House. Enter John of Gaunt, sick with the Duke of York. Will the king come that I may breathe my last and hold some counsel to his unstayed youth? Vex not, no, strive not with your breath, for all in vain comes counsel to his ear. Oh, but they say the tongues of dying men enforce attention like deep harmony. Where words are scarce, they are seldom spent in vain, for they breathe truth that breathe their words in pain. He that no more must say is listened more than they whom youth and ease have taught to gloss. More are men's ends marked than their lives before, the setting sun and music at the close. As the last taste of sweets is sweetest last, writ in remembrance more than things long past. Though Richard, my life's counsel, would not hear, my death's sad tale may yet undeaf his ear. No, it is stopped with other flattering sounds as praises of whose taste wise are fond, lascivious meters to whose venom sound the open ear of youth doth always listen. Report of fashions in proud Italy, whose manners still our tardy apish nation limps after in base imitation. Where doth the world thrust forth a vanity? So it be new, there's no respect how vile that is not buzzed into his ears. Then all too late comes counsel to be heard, where will doth mutiny with wit's regard direct not him whose way himself will choose? Tis breath thou lackest, and that breath wilt thou lose. Methinks I am a prophet, new inspired, and thus expiring do foretell of him. His rash, fierce blaze of riot cannot last. For violent fires soon burn out themselves. Small showers last long, but sudden storms are short. He tires betimes that spurs too fast betimes. With eager feeding, food doth choke the feeder. Light vanity, insatiate cormorant, consuming means soon preys upon itself. This royal throne of kings, this sceptered isle, this earth of majesty, this seat of Mars, 
is other Eden, demi-paradise. This fortress built by nature for herself against infection in the hands of war, this happy breed of men, this little world, this precious stone set in the silver sea, which serves it in the office of a wall or as a moat defensive to a house against the envy of less happier lands. This blessed plot, this earth, this realm, this England, this nurse, this teeming womb of royal kings feared by their breed and famous by their birth, renowned for their deeds as far from home for Christian service and true chivalry as is the sepulcher and stubborn jewelry or the world's ransom, blessed Mary's son. This land of such dear souls, this dear, dear land, dear for her reputation through the world, is now leased out. I die pronouncing it, like to a tenement or pelting farm. England, bound in with the triumphant sea, whose rocky shore beats back the envious siege of watery Neptune, is now bound in with shame, with inky blots and rotten parchment bonds. That England that was wont to conquer others hath made a shameful conquest of itself. Ah, with the scandal vanish with my life, how happy then were my ensuing death. Enter King Richard II and Queen, Duke of O'Murrell, Bushy Green, Baggett, Lord Ross, and Lord Willoughby. Deal mildly with his youth, for young hot coats being raged do rage the more. How fares our noble uncle, Lancaster? What comfort, man? How is't with aged gaunt? <laughs> oh, well, that name befits my composition. Old gaunt indeed, and gaunt and being old. Within me, grief hath kept a tedious fast, and who abstains from meat that is not gaunt? For sleeping England long time have I watched. Watching grades leanness, leanness is all gaunt. The pleasure that some fathers feed upon is my strict fast. I mean, my children's looks. And therein fasting hast thou made me gaunt. Gaunt I am for the grave. Gaunt is a grave whose hollow womb inherits not the bones. Can sick men play so nicely with their names? No. Misery makes sport to mock itself. Since thou dost seek to kill my name in me, I mock my name, great king, to flatter thee. Should dying men flatter those that live? No, no. Men living flatter those that die. Thou, now a dying, sayest, thou flatterest me. Oh, no. Thou diest, though I the sicker be. I am in health. I breathe and see thee ill. Well, <laughs> he that made me knows I see thee ill. Ill in myself to see, and in thee seeing ill. Thy deathbed is no lesser than thy land, wherein thou liest in reputation sick. And thou, too careless patient as thou art, commits thy anointed body to the cure of those physicians that first wounded thee. A thousand flatterers sit within thy crown, whose compass is no bigger than thy head. And yet, encaged in so small a verge, the waste is no whit lesser than thy land. Oh, and thy grandsire, with a prophet's eye, seeing how his son's son should destroy his sons, from forth thy reach he would have laid thy shame, deposing thee before thou wert possessed, 
which art possessed now to depose thyself. Why, cousin, wert thou regent of the world? It were a shame to let this land by lease. But for thy world enjoying but this land, is it not more than shame to shame it so? Landlord of England art thou now, not king. Thy state of law is bound slave to law, and thou, a lunatic, lean-witted fool, presuming on an ague's privilege, darest thou, with thy frozen admonition, make pale our cheek, chasing the royal blood with fury from his native residence. Now, by my seat's right royal majesty, wert thou not brother to great Edward's son, this tongue that runs so roundly in thy head should run thy head from thy unreverent shoulders. Oh, spare me not, my brother Edward's son, for that I was his father, Edward's son. That blood already, like the pelican, hast thou tapped out and drunkly caroused, my brother Gloucester, plain well-meaning soul, whom fair befall in heaven amongst happy souls, may be a precedent and witness good that thou respectest not spilling Edward's blood. Join with the present sickness that I have, and thy unkindness be like crooked age, to crop at once a too long withered flower. Live in thy shame, but shame, but die not shame with thee. These words hereafter thy tormentors be. And fame me to my bed, then to my grave. Love they to live that love and honor I have. Exit, borne off by his attendants. And let them die that age and sullens have. For both hast thou, and both become the grave. I do beseech your majesty impute his words to wayward sickliness and age in him. He loves you on my life and holds you dear as Harry, Duke of Hereford, were he here. Right, you say true. As Hereford's love, so his. As theirs, so mine, and all be as it is. Enter Northumberland. My liege, old Gaunt commends him to your majesty. What says he? Nay, nothing, all is said. His tongue is now a stringless instrument. Words, life, and all, old Lancaster hath spent. Be York the next that must be bankrupt so, though death before it ends a mortal woe. The ripest fruit first falls, and so doth he. His time is spent, our pilgrimage must be. So much for that. Now, for our Irish wars, we must supplant those rough, rug-headed kerns which live like venom where no venom else, but only they have privilege to live. And for these great affairs do ask some charged towards our assistance, we do seize to us the plate, coin, revenues, and movables whereof our Uncle Gaunt did stand possessed. How long shall I be patient? How long shall tender duty make me suffer wrong? Not Gloucester's death, nor Hereford's banishment, not Gaunt's rebukes, nor England's private wrongs, nor the prevention of poor Bolingbroke about his marriage, nor my own disgrace have ever made me sour my pain cheek, or bend one wrinkle on my sovereign's face. I am the last of noble Edward's sons, of whom thy father, Prince of Wales, was first. In war was never lion raged more fierce. In peace was never gentle lamb more mild than was that young and princely gentleman. His face thou hast, for even so looked he, accomplished with the number of thy hours, but when he frowned it was against the French and not against his friends. 
His noble hand did will what he did spend, and spent not that which his triumphant father's hand had won. His hands were guilty of no kindred blood, but bloody with the enemies of his kin. Richard, York is too far gone with grief, or else he would never would compare between. Why, uncle, what's the matter? Oh, my liege, pardon me, if you please. If not, I, pleased not to be pardoned, am content with all. Seek you to seize and gripe into your hands the royalties and rights of banished Hereford? Is not Gaunt dead? And doth not Hereford live? Was not Gaunt just and not Harry true? Did not the one deserve to have an heir? Is not his heir a well-deserving son? Take Hereford's rights away and take from time his charters and his customary rights. Let not tomorrow then ensue today. Be not thyself for, how art thou a king but by fair sequence and succession? Now before God, God forbid I say true. If you do wrongfully seize Hereford's rights, call in the letters patent that he hath by his attorneys general to sue his livery and deny his offered homage. You plucked a thousand daggers on your head. You lose a thousand well-disposed hearts and prick my tender patience to those thoughts which honor and allegiance cannot think. Think what you will. We seize into our hands his plate, his goods, his money, and his lands. I'll not be by the while. My liege, farewell. What will ensue hereof, there's none can tell. But by bad course may be understood that their events can never fall out good. Exit. Go, Bushy, to the Earl of Wiltshire straight. Bid him repair to us to Ely House to see this business. Tomorrow next we will for Ireland, and tis time, I trow, and we create, in absence of ourself, our uncle York, Lord Governor of England, for he is just and always loved us well. Come on, our queen, tomorrow must we part. Be merry, for our time of stay is short. Exit King Richard II, Queen, Duke of Omerle, Bushy Green, and Bagot. Well, lords, the Duke of Lancaster is dead. And living, too, for now his son is Duke. Barely in title, not in revenue. Richly in both, if justice had her right. My heart is great. But it must break with silence, ere it be disburdened with a liberal tongue. Nay, speak thy mind, and let him ne'er speak more that speaks thy words against to do thee harm. Tends that thou wouldst speak to the Duke of Hereford? If it be so, out with it boldly, man, quick as mine ear to hear of the good towards him. <laughs> no good at all that I can do for him, unless you call it good to pity him bereft and gilded of his patrimony. Now, afore God, tis shame such wrongs are born in him, a royal prince, and many more of noble blood in this declining land. The king is not himself, but basely led by flatterers, and what they will inform, merely in hate against any of us all, that will the king severely prosecute against us, our lives, our children, and our heirs. 
The commons hath he pilled with grievous taxes, and quite lost their hearts. The nobles hath he fined for ancient quarrels, and thus lost their hearts. And daily new exactions are devised, as blanks, benevolences, and I what what, I what not what, but what a god's name doth become of this. Wars hath not wasted it, for ward he hath not, but basely yielded upon compromise that which his noble ancestors achieved with blows. More hath he spent in peace than they in wars. The Earl of Wiltshire hath the realm in farm. The king's grown bankrupt like a broken man. Reproach and disillusion hangeth over him. He hath not money for these Irish wars, his birth and his taxations notwithstanding, but by the robbing of the Spanish duke. His noble kinsman, most degenerate king. But lords, we hear this fearful tempest sing, yet seek no shelter to avoid the storm. We see the wind sit sore upon our sails, and yet we strike not, but securely perish. We see the very wreck that we must suffer, and... Unavoided is the danger now, for suffering so the causes of our wreck. Not so. Even though the hollow eyes of death, I spy life peering. But I dare not say how near the tidings of our comfort is. Nay, let us share thy thoughts as thou dost ours. Be confident to speak, Northumberland. We three are but thyself, and speaking so, thy words are but as thoughts. Therefore, be bold. Than thus. I have from Laporte Leblanc, a bay in Britain, received intelligence that Harry Duke of Hereford, Reynold Lord Cobham Thomas, son and heir to the Earl of Arundel, that late broke from the Duke of Exeter, his brother, Archbishop, late of Canterbury, Sir Thomas Erpingham, Sir John Ramston, Sir John Norbury, Sir Robert Waterton, and Francis Coynt, all these well furnished by the Duke of Britain with eight tall ships, 3,000 men of war, are making hither with all due expedience and shortly mean to touch our northern shore. Perhaps they had ere this, but that they say the first departing of the king for Ireland. If then we shall shake off our slavish yoke, imp out our drooping country's broken wing, redeem from broken pawn the blemished crown, wipe off the dust that hangs on scepter's guilt, and make high majesty look like itself, away with me in post to Ravensburg. But if you faint, as fearing to do so, stay and be secret, and myself will go. To horse, to horse, urge doubts to them that fear. Hold out my horse and I will first be there. Exunt, scene two, the palace, enter Queen Bushy and Bagot. Madam, your majesty is too much sad. You promised when you parted with the king to lay aside life-harming heaviness and entertain a cheerful disposition. To please the king, I did. To please myself, I cannot do it. Yet I know no cause why I should welcome such a guest as grief, save bidding farewell to so sweet a guest as my sweet Richard. Yet again, methinks some unborn sorrow, ripe in fortune's womb, is coming towards me, and my inward soul with nothing trembles, something it grieves more than with parting from my lord the king. Each substance of a grief hath twenty shadows which shows like grief itself, but is not so. 
for sorrow's eye, glazed with blinding tears, divides one thing entire to many objects, like perspectives, which rightly gazed upon, show nothing but confusion. Eye to eye, distinguish form. So your sweet majesty, looking awry upon your lord's departure, finds shapes of grief more than himself to wail, which looked on as it, as it is, is not but shadows of what it is not. Then thrice gracious queen, more of your lord's departure weep not. More is not seen, or if it be, tis with false sorrow's eye, for which things true weeps things imaginary. It may be so, but yet my inward soul persuades me it is otherwise. Howe'er it be, I cannot be but sad, so heavy sad as the one thinking on no thought, I think, makes me with heavy nothing faint and shrink. Tis nothing but conceit, my gracious lady. Tis nothing less. Conceit is still derived from something forefather grief. Mine is not so. For nothing had begot my something grief, or something hath a nothing that I grieve. Is in reversion that I do possess, but what it is that it is not yet known, what I cannot name. Tis nameless woe, I wot. Enter Green. God save your majesty. And well met, gentlemen. I hope the king is not yet shipped for Ireland. Why hopest thou so? Tis better hope he is. For his designs crave haste, his haste good hope. Then wherefore dost thou hope he is not shipped? That he, our hope, might have retired his power and driven into despair an enemy's hope, who strongly hath set footing in this land. The banished Bolingbroke repeals himself, and with uplifted arms is safe arrived at Ravensburg. Now, oh, God in heaven forbid. Ah, uh, madam, tis too true, and that is worse. The Lord Northumberland... His son, Henry Percy, the lords of Ross, Beaumont, and Willoughby, with all their powerful friends, are fled to him. Why have you not proclaimed Northumberland and all the rest revolted faction traitors? We have. Whereupon the Earl of Worcester hath broke his staff, resigned his stewardship, and all the household servants fled with him to Bolingbroke. So, Green, thou art the midwife to my woe, and Bolingbroke my sorrow's dismal heir. Now hath my soul brought forth her prodigy, and I, a gasping new-delivered mother, have woe to woe, sorrow to sorrow joined. Despair not, madam. Who shall hinder me? I will despair, and be at enmity with cousining hope. He is a flatterer, a parasite, a keeper back of death, who gently would dissolve the bands of life which false hope lingers in extremity. Enter Duke of York. Here comes the Duke of York. With signs of war about his aged neck. Oh, full of careful business are his looks. Uncle, for God's sake, speak comfortable words. Should I do so, I should belie my thoughts. Comfort's in heaven, and we are on earth where nothing lives but crosses, cares, and grief. Your husband, he's gone to save far off whilst others come to make him lose at home. Here am I left to underprop his land, who, weak with age, cannot support myself. Now comes the sick hour that his surfeit made. Now shall he try his friends that flattered him. Enter a servant. My lord, your son was gone before I came. He was. Why so? Go all which way with it. The nobles, they are fled. The commons, they are cold. And will I fear 
revolt on Hereford's side. Sirah, get thee to Plashy, to my sister Gloucester. Bid her send me presently a thousand pound. Hold, take my ring. My lord, I had forgot to tell your lordship. Today, as I came by, I called there, but I shall grieve you to report the rest. What is it, knave? An hour before I came, the Duchess died. God for his mercy. What a tide of woes comes rushing on this woeful land at once. I know not what to do. I would to God so my untruth had not provoked him to it. The king had cut off my head with my brothers. What, are there no posts dispatched for Ireland? How shall we do for money for these wars? Come, sister. Cousin, I would say, pray pardon me. Go, fellow, get thee home. Provide some carts and bring away the armor that is there. Exit servant. Gentlemen, will you go muster men? If I know how or which way to order these affairs thus thrust disorderly into my hands, never believe me. Both are my kinsmen. The one is my sovereign, whom both my oath and duty bids defend. The other again is my kinsman, whom the king hath wronged, whom conscience and my kindreds bids to right. Well, somewhat we must do. Come, cousin, I'll dispose of you. Gentlemen, go. Muster up your men and meet me presently at Berkeley. I should to Plashy too, but time will not permit. All is uneven. Everything is left at six and seven. Exit Duke of York and Queen. The winds that spare for news to go to Ireland, and then returns. For us to levy power proportionable to the enemy is all impossible. Besides, our nearness to the king and love is near the hate of those love not the king. And that's the wavering comments. For their love lies in their purses. And whoso empties them by so much fills their hearts with deadly hate. Wherein the king stands generally condemned. If judgment lie in them, then so do we, because we ever have been near the king. Well, I will for refuge straight to Bristol Castle. The Earl of Wiltshire is already there. Thither I will I with you. For little office the hateful commons will perform for us, except like curs to tear us all to pieces. Will you go along with us? No. I will to Ireland to his majesty. Farewell. If hearts, presages be not vain, we three here art that ne'er shall meet again. That's as York thrives to beat back Bolingbroke. Alas, poor dupe. The task he undertakes is numbering sands and drinking oceans dry. Where one on his side fights, thousands will fly. Farewell at once, for once, for all and ever. Well, we may meet again. I fear me never. Exit. Scene three, Wilds in Gloucestershire. Enter Henry Bolingbroke in Northumberland with forces. How far is it, my lord, to Berkeley now? Believe me, noble lord, I am a stranger here in Gloucester. These high, wild hills and rough, uneven ways draws out our miles and makes them wearisome. And yet your fair discourse have been a sugar, making the hard way a sweet and delectable 
but I bethink me what a weary way from Ravensbur to Koshels will be found in Ross and will be wanting your company, which I protest hath very much beguiled the tediousness and process of my travel. But theirs is sweetened with the hope to have the present benefit which I possess, and hope to joy is little less in joy than hope enjoyed. But this the weary lords shall make their way seem short, as mine hath done by sight of what I have, your noble company. Well, much less value is my company than your good words. But who comes here? It is my son, young Harry Percy, sent from my brother Worcester. Whensoever, Harry, how fares your uncle? Enter Henry Percy. I had thought, my lord, to have learned his health of you. Why? Is he not with the queen? No, my good lord, he hath forsook the court, broken his staff of office, and dispersed the household of the king. What was his reason? He was not so resolved when last we spake together. Because your lordship was proclaimed traitor. But he, my lord, is gone to Ravensburg to offer services to the Duke of Hereford, and sent me over by Berkeley to discover what power the Duke of York had levied there, then with direction to repair to Ravensburg. Have you forgot the Duke of Hereford, boy? No, my good lord, for that it is not forgot which ne'er I did remember. To my knowledge, I never in my life did look on him. Then look to know him now. This is the duke. My gracious lord, I tender you my service, such as it is, being tender, raw, and young, which elder days shall ripen and confirm to more approved service and desert. Well, I thank thee, gentle Percy, and be sure I count myself in nothing else so happy as in a soul remembering my good friends. And as my fortune ripens with thy love, it shall be still thy true love's recompense. My heart this covenant makes, my hand thus seals it. How far is it to Berkeley? And what stir keeps good old York there with his men of war? There stands the castle by yon tuft of trees, manned with three hundred men, as I have heard, and in it are the lords of York, Berkeley, and Seymour, none else of name and noble estimate. Here comes the lords of Ross and Willoughby, bloody with spurring, fiery red with haste. Welcome, my lords. (laughs) Welcome, my (laughs) lords. I watch watch your love uh, pursues a banished traitor. All my treachery is yet but unfelt thanks, which more enriched shall be your love and labor's recompense. Your presence makes us rich, most noble lord, and far surmounts our labor to attain it. Evermore thanks, the exchequer of the poor, which, till my infant fortune comes to years, stands for my bounty. But who comes here? Enter Lord Berkeley. It is my lord of Berkeley, as I guess. My lord of Hereford, my message is to you. My lord, my answer is to Lancaster, and I come to seek that name in England, and I must find that title in your tongue before I make reply to aught you say. Mistake me not, my lord. Tis not my meaning to raise one of your title of your honor out. To you, my lord, I come, what lord you will, from the most gracious region of this land, the Duke of York, to know what pricks you on to take, to take advantage of the absent time and to fright our native peace with self-born arms. Enter Duke of York attended. 
I shall not need transport my words by you. Here comes his grace in person. My noble uncle. Kneels. Show me thy humble heart and not thy knee, whose duty is deceivable and false. My gracious uncle. Tut, tut. Grace me no grace, nor uncle me no uncle. I am no traitor's uncle. And you were, and that word grace, I am an ungracious mouth, is but profane. Why have thou banished and forbidden legs dared once to touch a dust of England's ground? But then more, why? Why have they dared to march so many miles upon her peaceful bosom, frightening her pale-faced villagers with war and ostentation of despised arms? Comest thou because the anointed king is hence? My foolish boy, the king is left behind, and in my loyal bosom lies his power. Were I but now the lord of such hot youth as when brave Gaunt, thy father and myself rescued the black prince, that young Mars of men from forth the ranks of many thousand French. Oh, then how quickly should his arm of mine. Now prisoner to the palsy, chasty thee, administer correction of thy fault. My gracious uncle, let me know my fault. On what condition stands it and wherein? even in condition of the worst degree, in gross rebellion and detested treason. Thou art a banished man, and here art come before the expiration of thy time in braving arms against thy sovereign. As I was banished, I was banished Hereford. But as I come, I come for Lancaster. And noble uncle, I beseech your grace, look on my wrongs with an indifferent eye. You are my father, for methinks in you I see old Gaunt alive. Oh, then, my father, will you permit that I shall stand condemned, a wandering vagabond, my rights and royalties plucked from my arms perforce and given away to upstart unthrifts? Wherefore was I born? If that my cousin king be king of England, it must be granted I am Duke of Lancaster. You have a son, O'Merrill, my noble cousin, you... Had you first died and he had thus trod down, he should have found his uncle gone to father to rouse his wrongs and chase them to the bay. I am denied to sue my livery here, and yet my letters, patents, give me leave. My father's goods are all distrained and sold, and these and all are misemployed. What would you have me do? I am a subject and I challenge law. Attorneys are denied me. And therefore, personally, I lay claim to my inheritance of free descent. The noble duke hath been too much abused. It stands a grace upon him upon to do him right. Base men by his endowments are made great. My lords of England, let me tell you this. I have had feeling of my cousin's wrongs and labored all I could to do him right. But in this kind to come in braving arms be his own carver and cut out his way to find out right and wrong, it may not be. And you that do abet him in this kind, cherish rebellion and are rebels all. The noble duke hath sworn his coming is but for his own, and for the right of that we all have strongly sworn to give him aid, and let him never see joy that breaks that oath. Well, well, I see the issue of these arms. I cannot mend it. I must needs confess, because my power is weak and all ill left. But if I could, 
By him they gave me life, I would attach you all and make you stoop unto the sovereign mercy of the king. But since I cannot, be it known to you, I do remain as neuter. So, fare you well, unless you please to enter in the castle and there repose for this night. You're on mute. You're on mute, Henry. You're on mute. You let me up. I couldn't hear any of that. Well, an offer, Uncle, that we will accept. But we must win your grace to go with us to Bristol Castle, which they say is held by Bushy, Bagot, and their complices, the caterpillars of the Commonwealth, which I have sworn to weed and pluck away. It may be I will go with you, but yet I'll pause, for I am loath to break our country's laws. Nor friends, nor foes, to me welcome you are. Things past redress are now with me past care. Exunt. Scene four, a camp in Wales. Enter the Earl of Salisbury and a Welsh captain. My lord of Salisbury, we have stayed ten days and hardly kept our countrymen together, and yet we hear no tidings from the king. Therefore we will disperse ourselves. Farewell. Stay yet another day, thou trusty Welshman. The king reposeth all his confidence in thee. Tis thought the king is dead. We will not stay. The bay trees in our country are all withered, and meteors fright the fixed stars of heaven. The pale-faced moon looks bloody on the earth, and lean-looked prophets whisper fearful change. Rich men look sad, and ruffians dance and leap. The one in fear to lose what they enjoy, the other to enjoy by rage and war. These signs forerun the death of, of, of the death or fall of kings. Farewell. Our countrymen are gone and fled. All as well assured Richard their king is dead. Exit. Ah, oh, Richard. With the eyes of heavy mind, I see thy glory like a shooting star fall to the base earth from the firmament. Thy sun sets weeping in the lowly west, witnessing storms to come, woe and unrest. Thy friends are fled to wait upon thy foes, and crossly to thy good all fortune goes. Exit. Act three, scene one, Bristol before the castle. Enter Henry Bolingbroke, Duke of York, Northumberland, Lord Ross, Lord Percy, Lord Willoughby, with Bushy and Green and prisoners. Bring forth these men. Bushy and Green, I will not vex your souls, since presently your souls must part your bodies. With too much urging your pernicious lives, for twere no charity, yet to wash your blood from, my, from off my hands, here in the view of men, I will unfold some causes of your deaths. You have misled a prince, a royal king, a happy gentleman in blood and liniments, by you unhappied and disfigured clean. You have, in manner with your sinful hours, made a divorce betwixt his queen and him, broke the possession of a royal bed, and stained the beauty of a fair queen's cheeks with tears drawn from her eyes by your foul wrongs. Myself a prince by fortune of my birth, near to the king in blood and near in love till you did make him misinterpret me, 
have stood my neck under your injuries and sighed my English breath in foreign clouds, eating the bitter bread of banishment, whilst you have fed upon my signories, disparked my parks and well felled my forest woods, from my own windows torn my household coat, raised out my impress, leaving me no sign save men's opinions and my living blood to show the world I am a gentleman. This and much more, much more than twice all this, condemns you to death. See them delivered over to execution and, ha and the hand of death. More welcome is the stroke of death to me than Bolingbroke to England. Lords, farewell. My comfort is that heaven will take our souls and plague injustice with the pains of hell. My lord Northumberland, see them dispatched. Exunt Northumberland and others with the prisoners. Uncle, you say the queen is at your house. For God's sake, fairly let her be entreated. Tell her I send to her my kind commons. Take special care my greetings be delivered. A gentleman of mine I have dispatched with letters of your love at her, to her at large. Thank gentle uncle. Come, lords, away to fight with Glendower and his complices, a while to work and after holiday. Exunt, scene two, the coast of Wales, a castle in view. Drums flourish in colors. Enter King Richard II, the Bishop of Carlisle, Duke of Almoral, and soldiers. Barclowley Castle, call they this land? Yea, my lord. How brooks your grace the air after your late tossing on the breaking seas? Needs must, I like it well. I weep for joy to stand upon my kingdom once again. Dear earth, I do salute thee with my hand, though rebels wound thee with their horses' hooves. As a long-parted mother with her child plays fondly with her tears and smiles in meeting, so weeping, smiling, greet I thee, my earth, and do thee favors with my royal hands. Feed not thy sovereign's foe, my gentle earth, nor with thy sweets comfort his ravenous sense, but let thy spiders that suck up thy venom and heavy-gated toads lie in their way, doing annoyance to their treacherous feet, which with usurping steps do trample thee. Yield stinging nettles to mine enemies, and when they from thy bosom pluck a flower, guard it, I pray thee, with a lurking adder, whose double tongue may, with a mortal touch, throw death upon thy sovereign's enemies. Mock not my senseless conjuration, lords. This earth shall have a feeling, and these stones prove armed soldiers, ere her native king shall falter under foul rebellion's arms. Fear not, my lord. That power that made you king hath power to keep you king in spite of all. The means that heaven yields must be embraced and not neglected. Else, if heaven would, and we will not, heaven's offer we refuse the proffered means of succor and redress. He means, my lord, that we are too remiss, whilst Bolingbroke through our security grows strong and great in substance and in power. Discomfortable cousin, Knowest thou not that when the searching eye of heaven is hid behind the globe that lights the lower world, then thieves and robbers range abroad unseen in murders and in outrage boldly here, 
But when, from under this terrestrial ball, he fires the proud tops of the eastern pines and darts his light through every guilty hole, then, murderers, treasons, and detested sins, the cloak of night being plucked from off their backs, stand bare and naked, trembling at themselves. So when this thief, this traitor, Bolingbroke, who all this while hath reveled in the night whilst we were wandering with the Antipodes, shall see us rising in our throne, the East, his treasons will sit blushing in his face, not able to endure the sight of day, but self-affrighted tremble at his sin. Not all the water in the rough, rude sea can wash the balm off from an anointed king. The breath of worldly men cannot depose the deputy elected by the Lord. For every man that Bolingbroke hath pressed to lift shrewd steel against our golden crown, God, for his Richard, hath in heavenly pay a glorious angel. Then, if angels fight, weak men must fall, for heaven still guards the right. Enter the Earl of Salisbury. Welcome, my lord. How far off lies your power? Nor near nor farther off, my gracious lord, than this weak arm. Discomfort guides my tongue and bids me speak of nothing but despair. One day too late, I fear me, noble lord, hath clouded all thy happy days on earth. Call back yesterday. Bid time return, and thou shalt have twelve thousand fighting men. Today, today, unhappy day, too late. Or throws thy joy, friends, fortune, and thy state. For all the Welshmen, hearing thou wert dead, are gone to Bolingbroke, dispersed and fled. Comfort, my liege. Why looks your grace so pale? But now the blood of twenty thousand men did triumph in my face, and they are fled. Until so much blood thither come again, have I not reason to look pale and dead? All souls that would fly, be safe, fly from my side, for time hath set a blot upon my pride. Comfort, my liege, remember who you are. I had forgot myself. Am I not king? Awake, thou coward majesty, thou sleep'st. Is not the king's name twenty thousand names? Arm, arm my name. A puny subject strikes at their great glory. Look not to the ground, ye favorites of a king. Are we not high? High be our thoughts. I know my uncle York hath power enough to serve our turn. But who comes here? Enter Sir Stephen Scroop. More health and happiness betide my liege than can my care-tune tongue deliver him. Mine ear is open and my heart prepared. The worst is worldly loss that thou canst unfold. Say, is my kingdom lost? Why, it was my care. And what loss is it to be rid of care? Strives Bolingbroke to be as great as we? Greater he shall not be. If he serve God, we'll serve him too and be his fellow. So, revolt our subjects? <laughs> that we cannot mend. They break their faith to God as well as us. Cry woe, destruction, ruin, and decay. The worst is death, and death will have his day. Glad am I that your highness is so armed to bear the tidings of calamity, like an unseasonable stormy day which makes the silver rivers drown their shores, 
as if the world were all dissolved to tears. So high above his limits swells the rage of Bolingbroke, covering your fearful land with hard, bright steel and hearts harder than steel. White beards have armed their thin and hairless scalps against thy majesty. Boys with women's voices strive to speak big and clap their female joints and stiff, unwieldy arms against thy crown. The very beadsmen learn to bend their boughs of double fatal you against thy state. Yea, distaff women manage rusty bills against thy seat. Both young and old rebel, and all goes worse than I have power to tell. Too well, too well thou tellst the tale so ill. Where is the Earl of Wiltshire? Where is Bagot? What has become of Bushy? Where is Green? That they have left the dangerous enemy measure our confines with such peaceful steps. If we prevail, their heads shall pay for it. I warrant they have made peace with Bolingbroke. Peace have they made with him indeed, my lord. Oh, villains, vipers, damned without redemption, dogs easily won to fawn on any man, snakes in my heart blood warm that sting my heart. Three Judases, each one thrice worse than Judas, would they make peace? Terrible hell make war upon their spotted souls for this offense. Sweet love, I see changing his property, turns to the sourest and most deadly hate. Again, uncurse their souls. Their peace is made with heads and not with hands. Those whom you curse have felt the worst of deaths, destroying wound and lie full low, graved in the hollow ground. Is Bushy Green and the Earl of Wiltshire dead? Aye, all of them at Bristol lost their heads. Where's the Duke my father with his power? No matter where. Of comfort no man speak. Let's talk of graves, of worms and epitaphs. Make dust our paper and with rainy eyes write sorrow on the bosom of the earth. Let's choose executors and talk of wills. And yet not so. What can we bequeath save our deposed bodies to the ground? Our lands, our lives and all are bawling brooks, and nothing can we call our own but death, and that small model of barren earth which serves as paste and cover to our bones. For God's sake, let us sit upon the ground and tell sad stories of the death of kings, how some have been deposed, some slain in war, some haunted by the ghosts they have deposed, some poisoned by their wives, some sleeping killed, all murdered. For within the hollow crown that rounds the mortal temples of a king keeps death his court, and there the antic sits, scoffing his state and grinning at his pomp, allowing him a breath, a little scene to monarchize, to be feared and killed with looks, infusing him with self and vain conceit, as if this flesh which walls about our life were brass, impregnable, and humored thus, comes at the last, and with a little pin, bores through his castle wall, and farewell, king. Cover your heads, and mock not flesh and blood with solemn reverence. Throw away respect, tradition, form, and ceremonious duty, for you have but mistook me all this while. I live with bread like you, feel want, taste grief, need friends. 
subjected thus, how can you say to me, I am a king? My Lord, wise men ne'er sit and wail their woes, but presently prevent the ways to wail. To fear the foe, since fear oppresseth strength, gives in your weakness strength unto your foe, and so your follies fight against yourself. Fear and be slain. No worse can come to fight, and fight and die is death destroying death, where fearing dying pays death's servile breath. My father hath a power. Inquire of him and learn to make a body of a limb. Thou chidst me well. Proud Bolingbroke, I come to change blows with thee for our day of doom. This ague fit of fear is overblown. An easy task is it to win our own. Say, Scroop, where lies our uncle with his power? Speak sweetly, man, although thou looks be sour. Men judge by the complexion of the sky, the state and inclination of the day. So may you by my dull and heavy eye, my tongue hath but a heavier tale to say. I play the torturer by small and small to lengthen out the worst that must be spoken. Your uncle York is joined with Bolingbroke, and all your northern castles yielded up, and all your southern gentlemen in arms upon his party. Thou hast said enough. Beshrew thee, cousin, which did lead me forth. Of what sweet way I was into despair, what say you now? What comfort have we now? By heaven, I'll hate him everlastingly that bids me be of comfort any more. Go to Flint Castle, there I'll pine away. A king, woe's slave, shall kingly woe obey. That power I have, discharge, and let them go to ear the land that hath some hope to grow. For I have none. Let no man speak again to alter this, for counsel is but vain. My liege, one word. He does me double wrong that wounds me with the flatteries of his tongue. Discharge my followers. Let them hence away from Richard's night to Bolingbroke's fair day. Exempt. Scene three, Wales before Flint Castle. Enter with Drummond Colors, Henry Bolingbroke, Duke of York, Northumberland, attendants and forces. So that by this intelligence we learn the Welshmen are dispersed and Salisbury is gone to meet the king, who lately landed, well, with some few private friends upon this coast. The news is very fair and good, my lord. Richard, not far from hence, hath hid his head. It would beseem the Lord Northumberland to say, King Richard, alack the heavy day, when such a sacred king should hide his head. Your grace mistakes. Only, be, uh, only to be brief left I his title out. The time hath been, would you have been so brief with him, he would have been so brief with you, to shorten you for talk taking so the head, your whole head's length. Mistake not, uncle, further than you should. Take not, good cousin, further than you should, lest you mistake the heavens are o'er our heads. I know it, uncle, and oppose not myself against their will. But who comes here? Enter Her Henry Percy. Welcome, Harry. What? Will not this castle yield? The castle is royally manned, my lord, against thy entrance. Royally? Why, it contains no king. Yes, my good lord, it doth contain a king. King Richard lies within the limits of yon lime and stone, 
and with him are the Lords Amurl and Lord Salisbury and Sir Stephen Scroop behind a clergyman of holy reverence whom I cannot learn. Oh, belike it is the Bishop of Carlisle. Noble lords, go to the rude ribs of that ancient castle, through brazen trumpets and the breath of parley into his ruined ears and thus deliver. Henry Bolingbroke on both his knees doth kiss King Richard's hand and sends allegiance and true faith of heart to his most royal person, hither come even at his feet to lay my arms and power, provided that my banishment repealed and lands restored again be freely granted. If not, I'll use the advantage of my power and lay the summer's dust with showers of blood rained from the wounds of slaughtered Englishmen. The which, how far off from the mind of Bolingbroke it is, such crimson tempest should bedrench the fresh green lap of fair King Richard's land. My stooping duty tenderly shall show. Go, signify as much while here we march upon the grassy carpet of this plain. Let's march without the noise of threatening drum that from this castle's tattered battlements our fair appointments may be well pursued, perused. Methinks King Richard and myself should meet with no less terror than the elements of fire and water, when their thundering shock at meeting tears the cloudy cheeks of heaven. Be here the fire, be he the fire, I'll be the yielding water. The rage be his, whilst on the earth I reign my waters, on the earth and not on him. March on and mark King Richard how he looks. Parley within and answer within, then a flourish. Enter on the wall, enter on the walls, King Richard II, the Bishop of Carlisle, Duke of O'Murl, Sir Stephen Scroop, and Earl of Salisbury. See, see, King Richard doth himself appear, as doth the blushing discontented sun from out the fiery portal of the east, when he perceives the envious clouds are bent to him, his glory and to stain the track of his bright passage to the Occident. Yet looks he like a king. Behold his eye, as bright as is the eagle's, lightens forth controlling majesty. Alack, alack for woe that any harm should stain so fair a show. We are amazed, and thus long have we stood to watch the fearful bending of thy knee, because we thought ourself thy lawful king. And if we be, how dare thy joints forget to pay their awful duty to our presence? If we be not, show us the hand of God that hath dismissed us from our stewardship. For well we know no hand of blood and bone can gripe the sacred handle of our scepter, unless he do profane, steal, or usurp. And though you think that all, as you have done, have torn their souls by turning them from us, and we are barren and bereft of friends, yet know, my master, God omnipotent, is mustering in his clouds on our behalf armies of pestilence, and they shall strike your children yet unborn and unbegot that lift your vassal hands against my head and threat the glory of my precious crown. Tell Bolingbroke, for yond methinks he stands, that every stride he makes upon my land is dangerous treason. He has come to open the purple testament of bleeding war, but ere the crown he looks for live in peace, ten thousand bloody crowns of mother's sons shall ill become the flower of England's face, change the complexion of her made pale peace to scarlet indignation, and bedew her pasture's grass with faithful English blood. 
The king of heaven forbid our lord the king should so with civil and uncivil arms be rushed upon. Thy thrice noble cousin, Harry Bolingbroke, doth humbly kiss thy hand, and by the honorable tomb he swears that stands upon your royal grandsire's bones, and by the royalties of both your bloods, currents that spring from one most gracious head, and by the buried hand of warlike gaunt, and by the worth and honor of himself, comprising all that may be sworn or said, his coming hither hath no further scope than for his lineal royalties, and to beg enfranchisement immediate on his knees, which on thy royal party grant once, granted once. His glittering arms he will commend to rust, his barbed steeds to stables, and his heart to faithful service of your majesty. This swears he, as he is a prince, is just, and as I am a gentleman, I credit him. Northumberland, say thus the king returns. His noble cousin is right welcome hither, and all the number of his fair demands shall be accomplished without contradiction. With all the gracious utterance thou hast speak to his gentle hearing, kind commends. We do debase ourselves, cousin, do we not? to look so poorly and to speak so fair? Shall we call Northumberland and send defiance to the traitor and so die? No, good my lord. Let's fight with gentle words till the time lend friends and friends their helpful swords. Oh God, oh God, that ere this tongue of mine that laid the sentence of dread banishment on yon proud man should take it off again with words of sooth Oh, that I were as great as is my grief, or lesser than my name, or that I could forget what I have been, or not remember what I must be now. Swell'st thou, proud heart, I'll give thee scope to beat, since foes have scope to beat both thee and me. Northumberland comes back from Bolingbroke. What must the king do now? Must he submit? The king shall do it. Must he be deposed? The king shall be contented. Must he lose the name of king? Oh, God's name, let it go. I'll give my jewels for a set of beads, my gorgeous palace for a hermitage, my gay apparel for an almsman's gown, my figured goblets for a dish of wood, my scepter for a palmer's walking staff, my subjects for a pair of carved saints, and my large kingdom for a little grave, a little, little grave, an obscure grave, or I'll be buried in the king's highway, some way of common trade, where subjects' feet may hourly trample on their sovereign's head, for on my heart they tread now, whilst I live, and buried once, why not upon my head? O Merle, thou weepst, my tender-hearted cousin. We'll make foul weather with despised tears. Our sighs and they shall lodge the summer's corn and make a dearth in the revolting land. Or shall we play the wantons with our woes and make such some petty match with shedding tears as thus to drop them still upon one place till they have fretted us a pair of graves within the earth and therein laid there lies two kinsmen dig their graves with weeping eyes. Would not this ill do well 
Well, I see, I talk but idly, and you laugh at me. Most mighty prince, my lord Northumberland, what says King Bolingbroke? Will his majesty give Richard leave to live till Richard die? You make a leg, and Bolingbroke says I. My lord, in the base court he doth attend to speak with you. May it please you to come down. Down, down I come, like glistering Phaeton, wanting the manage of unruly jades in the base court. Base court, where kings grow base, to come at traitors' calls and do them grace. In the base court, come down, call down, court down, king. For night owls shriek, or mounting larks should sing. Exit from above. What says his majesty? Sorrow and grief of heart makes him speak fondly like a frantic man. Yet he is come. Enter King Richard and his attendants below. Stand all apart and show fair duty to his majesty. He kneels down. My gracious lord. Fair cousin, you debase your princely knee to make the base earth proud with kissing it. Me rather had my heart might feel your love than my unpleased eye see your courtesy. Up, cousin, up. Your heart is up, I know. Thus high, at least, although your knee be low. My gracious lord, I come but for mine own. Your own is yours, and I am yours, and all. So far be mine, my most redoubted lord, as my true service shall deserve your love. Well, you deserve. They well deserve to have that know the strongest and surest way to get. Uncle, give me your hands. Nay, dry your eyes. Tears show their love, but want their remedies. Cousin, I am too young to be your father, though you are old enough to be my heir. What will you have? I'll give, and willingly too. For me must what force will have us do. Set on towards London, cousin. Is it so? Yea, my good lord. Then I must not say no. Flourish, exeunt. Scene four, Langley, the Duke of York's garden, enter the queen and two ladies. What sport shall we devise here in this garden to drive away the heavy thought of care? Madam, we'll play at bowls. It'll make me think the world is full of rubs and that my fortune rubs against the bias. <laughs> oh, madam, we'll dance. My legs can keep no measure in delight when my poor heart no measure keeps in grief. Therefore, no dancing, girl, some other sport. Madam, we'll tell tales. Of sorrow or of joy? Of either, madam. Of neither, girl. For of joy, being altogether wanting, it doth remember me the more of sorrow. Or, if of grief, being altogether had, it adds more sorrow to my want of joy. For what I have I need not to repeat, and what I want it boots not to complain. Madam, I'll sing. Tis well that thou hast cause, but thou shouldst please me better wouldst thou weep. I could weep, madam. Would it do you good? And I could sing, would weeping do me good. Never borrow any tear of thee. Enter a gardener and two servants. But stay, here come the gardeners. Let's step into the shadow of these trees, my wretchedness unto a row of pins. 
They'll talk of state, for everyone does so against a change. Woe is forerun with woe. Queen and ladies retire. Go bind thou up young dangling apricots, which like unruly children make their sires stoop with oppression of their prodigal weight. Give some supportance to the bending twigs. Go thou, and like an executioner, cut off the heads of too fast growing sprays that too lofty in our commonwealth all must be even in our government. You thus employed, I will go root away the noisome weeds, which without profit, profit suck the soil's fertility from wholesome flowers. Why should we in the compass of a pale keep law and form in due proportion, showing as in a model our firm estate, when our sea-walled garden, the whole land is full of weeds, her fairest flowers choked up, her fruit trees all upturned, her hedges ruined, her knots disordered, and her wholesome herbs swarming with caterpillars. Hold thy peace. He that hath suffered this disordered spring hath now himself met with the fall of leaf. The weeds, which his broad spreading leaves did shelter, that seemed in eating him to hold him up, are plucked up by the root and all by Bolingbroke. I mean, the Earl of Witcher, bushy, green. What, are they dead? They are, and Bolingbroke, hath seized the wasteful king. Oh, what a pity is it that he had not so trimmed and dressed his land as we this garden. We at time of year do wound the bark, the skin of our fruit trees, lest being over proud, proud in sap and blood with too much riches it confound itself. Had he done so to great and growing men, they might have lived to bear and he to taste their fruits of duty. Superfluous branches we lop away that bearing boughs may live. He had done so, himself had borne the crown, which waste of idle hours hath quite thrown down. What? Think you then the king shall be deposed? Depressed he is already and deposed. Tis doubt he will be. Letters came last night to a dear friend of the good Duke of York's that tell that black tidings. Oh, I am pressed to death through want of speaking. Come f- coming forward. Old Adam's likeness, set to dress this garden. How dares thy heart-rubed tongue sound this unpleasing news? What Eve, cursed man? Why dost thou say Richard is deposed? Darest thou, thou little better thing than earth, divine his downfall? Say where, when, and how camest thou by these ill tidings? Speak, thou wretch. Pardon me, madam. Little joy have I to breathe this news, yet what I say is true. King Richard, he is in the mighty hold of Bolingbroke. Their fortunes both are weighed. In your lord's, in your lord's scale is nothing but himself and some few vanities that make him light. But in the balance of great Bolingbroke, beside himself are all the English peers, and with that odds he weighs King Richard down. Post you to London, and you will find it so. I speak no more than every one doth know. Nimble mischance, that art so light of foot, doth not thy embassage belong to me, and am I last that knows it? Oh, thou thinkest to serve me last, that I may longest keep thy sorrow in my breast. Come, ladies, go to meet at London, London's king in woe. What was I born to this, that my sad look should grace the triumph of great Bolingbroke? 
Gardner for telling me these news of woe. Thank God the plants thou grafts may never grow. Exent queen and ladies. Or queen, so that thy state might be no worse, I would my skill were subject to thy curse. Here did she fall a tear, here in this place. I'll set a bank of rue, sour herb grace. Rue, even for Ruth, here shortly shall be seen in remembrance of a weeping queen. Exit. Act 4, Scene 1, Westminster Hall. Enter as to the Parliament to Henry Bolingbroke, Duke of O'Moral, Northumberland, Henry Percy, Lord Fitzwater, Duke of Surrey, the Bishop of Carlisle, the Abbot of Westminster, and another Lord, Harold, officers, and Bagot. Call forth, Bagot. Now, Bagot, freely speak thy mind. What thou dost know of noble Gloucester's death, who wrought it with the king, and who performed the bloody office of his timeless end? And set before my face the Lord Omeral. Cousin, stand forth and look upon that man. My Lord Omeral, I know your daring tongue scorns to unsay what once it hath delivered. In that dead time when Gloucester's death was plotted, I heard you say, is not my arm of length that reached from the restful English court as far as Calais to mine uncle's head. Amongst much other talk, that very time I heard you say that you had rather refused the offer of a hundred thousand crowns than Bolingbroke's return to England, adding withal how blessed this land would be in your cousin's death. Princes and noble lords, what answer shall I make to this base man? Shall I so much dishonor my fair stars on equal terms to give him chastisement? Either I must or have mine honor soiled with the attainder of his slanderous lips. There is my gauge, the manual seal of death that marks thee out for hell. I say thou liest and will maintain what thou hast said is false in thy heart blood, thou being all too base to stain the temper of my knightly sword. Bagot, forbear, thou shalt not take it up. Excepting one. I would he were the best in all this presence that hath moved me so. If that thy valor stand on sympathy, there is my gauge, Amaral, engaged to thine. By that fair sun which shows me where thou stands, I heard thee say, and vauntingly thou spakest that thou wert the cause of noble Gloucester's death. Thou deniest it twenty times, thou liest. I will turn thy false falsehood to thy heart, where it was forged, with my rapier's point. Thou darest not, coward, live to see that day. Now by my soul, I would it were this hour. Fitzwater, thou art damned to hell for this. Oh, Merle, thou liest. His honor is as true in this appeal as thou art all unjust. And that thou art so, that there I throw my gauge to prove it on there on thee to the extremest point of moral breathing. Seize it if thou darest. And if I do not, may my hands wrought off and never brandished more revengeful steel over the glittering helmet of my foe. I task the earth to the like forsworn O'Merle and spur thee on with full as many lies as may be hollowed in thy treacherous ear from sun to sun. There is my honor's pawn. Engage it to the trial, if thou darest. Who sets me else? By heaven, I'll throw at all. I have a thousand spirits in one breast to answer twenty thousand such as you.
my dude Fitzwater, I do remember well the very time O'Marrill and you did talk. Which is very true. You were in presence then and can witness with me this is true. As false by heaven as heaven itself is true. Sorry, thou liest. Dishonorable boy, that lie... That lie shall lie so heavy on my sword that it shall render vengeance and revenge till thou, uh, the lie giver, and that lie do lie in earth as quiet as thy father's skull. In proof whereof, there is, there is my honor's pawn. Engage it to the trial if thou darest. How fondly dost thou spur a forward horse. If I dare eat or drink or breathe or live, I dare meet Surrey in a wilderness and spit upon him whilst I say he lies. And lies and lies. <laughs> uh, there is my bond of faith to tie thee to my strong correction. I intend to thrive in this new world. Amr is guilty of my true appeal. Besides, I heard the banished Norfolk say that thou, Amr, didst send two of thy men to execute the normal, the noble Duke at Calais. Some honest Christian, trust me with the gauge that Norfolk lies here. Do I throw down this, if he may be repealed, to try his honor? These differences shall all rest under gauge till no fork be repealed. Repealed he shall be, and though mine enemy restored again to all his lands and signories, when he's returned against Amaral, we will enforce his trial. That honorable day shall ne'er be seen. Many a time hath banished Norfolk fought for Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ, in glorious Christian field streaming the ensign of the Christian cross against black pagans, Turks, and the Saracens, and toiled with works of war, retired himself to Italy, and there at Venice gave his body to that pleasant country's earth, and his pure soul unto his captain Christ, under whose colors he had fought so long. Why, Bishop, is Norfolk dead? As surely as I live, my lord. Sweet peace conduct his sweet soul to the bosom of God, old Abraham. Lord's appellants, your, difference, your differences shall all rest under gauge till we assign you to your days of trial. Enter Duke of York, attended. Great Duke of Lancaster, I come to thee from plume-plucked Richard, who with willing soul adopts thee heir, and his high scepter yields to the possession of thy royal hand. Ascend his throne, descending now from him, and long live Henry, fourth of that name. In God's name, I'll ascend the regal throne. Mary, God forbid. Worst in this royal presence may I speak, yet best beseeming me to speak the truth. Would God that any in this noble presence were enough noble to be upright judge of noble Richard. Then true noblesse would learn him forbearance from so foul a wrong. What subject can give sentence on this king, on his king? And who sits here that is not Richard's subject? Thieves are not judged, but they are by to hear. Although apparent guilt be seen in them. And shall the figure of God's majesty, his captain, steward, deputy elect, anointed, crowned, planted many years, be judged by subject and inferior breath, and he himself not present? Oh, for offended. God, that in a Christian climate, souls refined show, should show so heinous, black, obscene a deed. I speak to subjects, and a subject speaks, stirred up by God, thus boldly for his king. 
my Lord of Hereford here, whom you call king, is a foul traitor to proud Hereford's king. And if you crown him, let me prophesy. The blood of English shall manure the ground and future ages groan for this foul act. Peace shall go sleep with Turks and infidels. And in this seat of peace, tumultuous wars shall kin with kin and kind with kind confound. Disorder, horror, fear, and mutiny shall here inhabit. And this land be called the field of Golgotha and dead men's skulls. Oh, if you raise this house against this house, it will the woefulest division prove that ever fell upon this crusted earth, this cursed earth. Prevent it, resist it, let it be not so. Let's child, child's children cry against you. Whoa. Well, have you argued, sir? And for your pains of capital treason, we arrest you here. My Lord of Westminster, be it your charge to keep him safely till the day of trial. May it please you, lords, to grant the common suit. Fetch hither Richard, that in common view he may surrender, so we shall proceed without suspicion. I will be his conduct. Lords, you that here are under our arrest, procure your sureties for your days of answer. Little are we beholding to your love, and little looked for at your helping hands. Re-entered Duke of York with King Richard II and officers bearing the regalia. Alack, why am I sent for to a king before I have shook off the regal thoughts wherewith I reigned? Hardly yet have learned to insinuate, flatter, bow, and bend my limbs, Give sorrow leave a while to tutor me to this submission. Yet I well remember the favors of these men. Were they not mine? Did they not sometime cry all hail to me? So Judas did to Christ, but he in twelve found truth in all but one. I in twelve thousand none. God save the king. Will no man say amen? Am I both priest and clerk? Well then, amen. God save the king, although I be not he. And yet amen, if heaven do think him me. To do what service am I sent for hither? To do that office of thine own good will, which tired majesty did make thee offer, the resignation of thy state and crown to Henry Bolingbroke. Give me the crown. Here, cousin, seize the crown. Here, cousin, on this side my hand and on that side yours. Now is this golden crown like a deep well that owes two buckets, filling one another, the emptier ever dancing in the air, the other unseen and full of water. That bucket down and full of tears am I, drinking my griefs whilst you mount up on high. I thought you had been willing to resign. My crown I am, but still my griefs are mine. You may my glories and my state depose, but not my griefs. Still am I king of those. Part of your cares you give me with your crown. Your cares set up do not pluck my cares down. 
My care is loss of care by old care done. Your care is gain of care by new care won. The cares I give I have, though given away, they tend the crown, yet still with me they stay. Are you contented to resign the crown? I... No. No. I... For I must nothing be, therefore no, no, for I resign to thee. Now, mark me how I will undo myself. I give this heavy weight from off my head, and this unwieldy scepter from my hand, the pride of kingly sway from out my heart. With mine own tears I wash away my balm, With mine own hands I give away my crown. With mine own tongue deny my sacred state. With mine own breath release all duty's rights. All pomp and majesty I do forswear. My manners, rents, revenues I forego. My acts, decrees, and statutes I deny. God pardon all oaths that are broke to me. God keep all vows unbroke that swear to thee. Make me that nothing have with nothing grieved, and thou with all pleased that hast all achieved. Long mayst thou live in Richard's seat to sit, and soon lie Richard in an earthly pit. God save King Harry, unkinged Richard says, and send him many years of sunshine days. What more remains? No more but that you read these accusations and these grievous crimes committed by your person and your followers against the state and profit of this land. That by confessing them, the souls of men may deem that you are worthily disposed. Must I do so? And must I ravel out my weaved-up folly? Gentle Northumberland, if thy offenses were upon record, would it not shame thee in so fair a troop to read a lecture of them? If thou wouldst, there shouldst thou find one heinous article containing the deposing of a king and cracking the strong warrant of an oath marked with a blot, damned in the book of heaven. Nay, all of you that stand and look upon whilst that my wretchedness doth bait myself, though some of you with Pilate wash your hands, showing an outward pity, yet you, Pilates, have here delivered me to my cross and water cannot wash away your sin. My lord, dispatch. Read o'er these articles. Mine eyes are full of tears I cannot see. And yet salt water blinds them not so much, but they can see a sort of traitors here. Nay, if I turn mine eyes upon myself, I find myself a traitor with the rest, for I have given here my soul's consent to undeck the pompous body of a king made glory base and sovereignty a slave, proud majesty a subject, state a peasant. My lord. No lord of thine, thou hot, insulting man. No, no man's lord. I have no name, no title. No, not that name was given me at the font, but tis usurped. Alack, the heavy day that I have worn so many winters out, and now not know what name to call myself. 
Oh, that I were a mockery king of snow, standing before the sun of Bolingbroke to melt myself away in water drops. Good king, great king, and yet not greatly good. And if my word be sterling yet in England, let it command a mirror hither straight, that it may show me what face I have, since it is bankrupt of his majesty. Go, some of you, and fetch a looking glass. Exit an attendant. Read o'er this paper while the glass doth come. Fiend! Thou torment me ere I come to hell. Urge it no more, my lord Northumberland. The commons will not then be satisfied. They shall be satisfied. I'll read enough when I do see the very book, indeed, where all my sins are writ, and that's myself. Re-enter attendant with a glass. Give me the glass, and therein will I read. No deeper wrinkles yet. Hath sorrow struck so many blows upon this face of mine, and made no deeper wounds. Oh, flattering glass, like to my followers in prosperity, thou dost beguile me. Was this face the face that every day under his household roof did keep ten thousand men? Was this the face that, like the sun, did make beholders wink? Was this the face that faced so many follies and was at last outfaced by Bolingbroke? A brittle glory shineth in this face, as brittle as thy glory is the face. Dashes the glass against the ground. For there it is. Cracked in an hundred shivers. Mark, silent king, the moral of this sport. How soon my sorrows hath destroyed my face. The shadow of your sorrow hath destroyed the shadow of your face. Say that again. The shadow of my sorrow. Let's see. Tis very true. My grief lies all within, and these external manners of laments are merely shadows to the unseen grief that swells with silence in the tortured soul, for there lies the substance. And I thank thee, King, for thy great bounty, that not only gives to me cause to wail, but teaches me the way how to lament the cause. I'll beg one boon and then be gone and trouble you no more. Shall I obtain it? Name it, fair cousin. Fair cousin? I am greater than a king. For when I was a king, my flatterers were then but my subjects. Being now a subject, I have a king here to my flatterer. Being so great, I have no need to beg. Yet ask. And shall I have? You shall. Then give me leave to go. Whither? Whither you will, so I were from your sights. Go, some of you convey him to the tower. Oh, good. Convey. Conveyors are you all that rise thus nimbly by a true king's fall. Exit King Richard II, some lords and a guard. On Wednesday next, we solemnly set down our coronation. Lords, prepare yourselves. Exunt all except Bishop of Carlisle, the Abbot of Westminster, and the Duke of Omeral. A woeful pageant have we here beheld. The woes to come, the children yet unborn, shall feel this day as sharp to them as thorn. You holy clergymen, 
Is there no plot to rid the realm of this pernicious blot? My lord, before I freely speak my mind herein, you shall not only take the sacrament to bury men in tents, but also to effect whatever I shall happen to devise. I see your brows are full of discontent, your hearts of sorrow, and your eyes uh, of uh, tears. Come home with me to supper, and I'll lay a plot shall show us all a merry day. Exund, Act 5, Scene 1, London, a street leading to the tower. Enter Queen and ladies. This way the king will come. This is the way to Julius Caesar's ill-erected tower, to whose flint bosom my condemned lord is doomed a prisoner by proud Bolingbroke. Here let us rest. If this rebellious earth have any resting for her true king's queen. Enter King Richard II and guard. But soft, but see. Or rather, do not see. Look up, behold, that you in pity may dissolve to do and wash him fresh again with true love tears. Ah, thou, the model where old Troy did stand, thou map of honor, thou King Richard's tomb and not King Richard, thou most beauteous in, why should hard-favored grief be lodged in thee when triumph is become an alehouse guest? Join not with grief, fair woman, do not so, to make my end too sudden. Learn, good soul, to think our former state a happy dream, from which awaked the truth of what we are shows us but this. I am sworn, brother, sweet, to grim necessity, and he and I will keep a league till death. Hie thee to France, and cloister thee in some religious house. Our holy lives must win a new world's crown, which our profane hours here have stricken down. What? Is my Richard both in shape and mind transformed and weakened? Hath Bolingbroke deposed thine intellect? Hath he been in thy heart? Thy lying, dying, thrusteth forth his paw and wounds the earth, if nothing else, with rage to be overpowered. And wilt thou, pupil-like, take thy correction mildly? Kiss the rod and fawn on rage with base humility, which art a lion and a king of beasts. A king of beasts, indeed, if aught but beasts. I had been still a happy king of men. Good sometime queen, prepare thee hence for France. Think I am dead, and that even here thou takest as from my deathbed thy last living leave. In winter's tedious nights, sit by the fire with good old folks, and let them tell thee tales of woeful ages long ago betid. And ere thou bid good night to quit their griefs, tell thou the lamentable tale of me, and send the hearers weeping to their beds. For why the senseless brands will sympathize the heavy accent of thy moving tongue, and in compassion weep the fire out? And some will mourn in ashes, some coal black, for the deposing of a rightful king. Enter Northumberland and others. My lord, the mind of Bolingbroke is changed. You must to Pomfret, not unto the tower. And madam, there is order tamed for you. With all swift speed, you must away to France. 
Northumberland, thou ladder with all thy mounting Bolingbroke ascends my throne, the time shall not be many hours of age more than it is ere foul sin gathering head shall break into corruption. Thou shalt think, though he divide the realm and give thee half, it is too little helping him to all. And he shall think that thou, which knewst the way to plant unrightful kings, wilt know again, being ne'er so little urged, another way to pluck him headlong from thy the usurped throne. The love of wicked men converts to fear, that fear to hate, and hate turns one or both to worthy danger and deserved death. My guilt be on my head, and there an end. Take leave and part, for you must part forwith. Doubly divorced, bad men, you violate a twofold marriage twixt my crown and me, and then betwixt me and my married wife. Let me unkiss the oath twixt thee and me, and yet not so, for with a kiss twas made. Part us, Northumberland, I am toward the north, where shivering cold and sickness pines the climb, my wife to France, from whence set forth in pomp, she came adorned hither like sweet May, sent back like Hallamus or shortst of day. And must we be divided? Must we part? Aye, hand from hand, my love, and heart from heart. Banish us both and send the king with me. That were some love but little policy. Then whither he goes, thither let me go. So too, together weeping, make one woe. Weep thou for me in France, I for thee here. Better far off than near, but ne'er the near. Go, count thy way with sighs, I mine with groans. So longest way shall have the longest moans. Twice for one step I'll groan, the way being short, and piece the way out with a heavy heart. Come, come, in wooing sorrow let's be brief, since wedding it there is such length in grief. One kiss shall stop our mouths and dumbly part, thus give I mine, and thus take I thy heart. Give me my own again. T'were no good to part to take on me to keep and kill thy heart. So now I have mine own again begone, that I might strive to kill it with a groan. We make woe wanton with this fond delay. Once more, adieu. Let the rest, let sorrow say. Exit. Scene two, the Duke of York's palace. Enter Duke of York and Duchess of York. My lord, you told me you would tell the rest when weeping made you break the story off of our two cousins coming into London. Where did I leave? At the sad stop, my lord, where misgoverned hands from windows tops threw dust and rubbish onto King Richard's head. Then, as I said, the Duke, great Bolingbroke, mounted upon a hot and fiery steed, which his aspiring rider seemed to know, with slow but stately pace kept on his course, whilst all tongues cried, God save thee, Bolingbroke. You'd have thought the very windows spake, so many greedy looks of young and old through casements darted their desiring eyes upon his visage, and that all the walls with painted imagery had said at once, Jesu, preserve thee, welcome, Bolingbroke, whilst he from the one side to the other turning, bareheaded lower than his proud steed's neck, bespake them thus, 
I thank you, countrymen. And thus still doing, thus he passed along. Alack, poor Richard. Where rode he the whilst? As in a theater, the eyes of men, after a well-graced actor leaves the stage, are idly bent on him that enters next, thinking his prattle to be tedious. Even so, or with much more contempt, men's eyes did scowl on gentle Richard. No man cried, God save him. No joyful tongue gave him his welcome home. But dust was thrown upon his sacred head, which with such gentle sorrow he shook off, his face still combating with tears and smiles, the badges of his grief and patience that had not God, for some strong purpose, steeled the hearts of men. They must perforce have melted, and barbarism itself had pitied him. But heaven have a hand in these events, to whose high will we bound our calm contents. To Bolingbroke we are sworn subjects now, whose state and honor eye for eye allow. Here comes my son, O'Merrill. O'Merrill, that was. But that is lost for being Richard's friend, and madam, you must call him Rutland now. I am in Parliament pledged for his truth and lasting fealty to the new king maid. Enter Duke of Armerel. Welcome, my son. Who are the violets now that strew the green lap of the new-come spring? Madam, I know not, nor I greatly care not. God knows I had as lief be none as one. Well, very well in this new spring of time, lest you be cropped before you come to prime. Well, what news of Oxford? Hold those justs and triumphs? For aught I know, my lord, they do. You will be there, I know. If God prevents not, I propose so. What seal is that hangs without thy bosom? <clears throat> hey, looks thou pale. Let me see the my writing. Lord, my lord, tis nothing. No matter, then, who see it. I will be satisfied. Let me see the writing. I do beseech your grace to pardon me. It's a matter of small consequence, which for some reasons I would not have seen. Which, for some reasons, sir, I mean to see. I fear, I fear. What should you fear? Tis nothing but some bond that he has entered into for gay apparel against the triumph day. Bound to himself? What do think with a bond that he is to bound with? Wife, thou art a fool. Boy, let me see the writing. I do beseech you. Pardon me, I may not show it. I will be satisfied. Let me see it, I say. He plucks it out of his bosom and reads it. Treason. Foul treason. Villain! Traitor! Slave! What is the matter, my lord? Ho! Oh, who is within there? Enter a servant. Saddle my horse. God, for his mercy, what treachery is here? Why? What is it, my lord? Give me my boots, I say. Saddle my horse. Now, by mine honor, by my life, by my troth, I will appreach the villain. What is the matter? Peace, foolish woman. I will not peace. What is the matter, Ormoreau? 
Good mother, be content. It is no more than my poor life must answer. Thy life answer. Bring me my boots. I will unto the king. Re-enter a servant with boots. Strike him, O'Merl. Poor boy, thou art amazed. Hence, villain, never more come in my sight. Give me my boots, I say. Why, York, what wilt thou do? Wilt thou not hide the trespass of thine own? Have we more sons, or are we like to have? Is not thy my teeming date drunk up with time? And wilt thou pluck my hair, my fair son from mine age and rob me of a happy mother's name? Is he not like thee? Is he not thine own? Thou fond mad woman, wilt thou conceal this dark conspiracy? A dozen of them here have taken the sacrament and interchangeably set down their hands to kill the king at Oxford. He shall be none. We'll keep him here. Then what is that to him? Away, fond woman. Were he twenty times my son, I would appeach him. Hadst thou groaned for him as I have done, thou wouldst be more pitiful. But now I know thy mind. Thou dost suspect that I have been disloyal to my bed, and that he is a bastard, not thy son. Sweet York, sweet husband, be not of that mind. He is as like thee as a man may be. Not like to me or any of my kin, yet I love him. Make way, unruly woman. Exit. After, O'Merle, mount mount thee upon his horse. Spur post and get before him to the king, and beg thy pardon ere he do accuse thee. I'll not be long behind, though I be old, I doubt not but to ride as fast as York, and never will I rise up from the ground till Bolingbroke have pardoned thee. Away, be gone! Excellent. Scene three, a royal palace. Enter Henry Bolingbroke, Henry Percy, and other lords. <clears throat> Can no man tell me of my unthrifty son? Tis full three months since I did see him last. If any plague hag over us, tis he. I would to God, my lords, he might be found. Inquire at London, amongst the taverns there, for there they say he daily doth frequent, with unrestrained loose companions, even such, they say, as stand in narrow lanes and beat our watch and rob our passengers, which he, young, wanton, and effeminate boy, takes on the point of honor to support so dissolute a crew. My lord, some two days since I saw the prince and told him of those triumphs held at Oxford. And what said the gallant, the gallant? His answer was, he would unto the stews, and from the commonest creature pluck a glove and wear it as a favor. And with that, he would unhorse the lustiest challenger. As dissolute as desperate. Yet through both, I see some sparks of better hope, which elder years may happily bring forth. But who comes here? Enter Duke of Omerah. Where's the king? What means our cousin, that he stares and looks so wildly? God save your grace. 
I do beseech your majesty to have some conference with your grace alone. Withdraw yourselves and leave us here alone. And exit Henry Percy and Lords. What is the matter with our cousin now? Forever may my knees grow to the earth, my tongue cleave to my roof within my mouth, unless a pardon ere I rise or speak. Intended or committed was this fault? If on the first, how heinous e'er to be, to win thy after love, I pardon thee. Then give me leave that I may turn the key, that no man enter till my tale be done. Have thy desire. My liege, beware, look to thyself. Thou hast a traitor in thy presence there. Villain, I'll make thee safe. Drawing. Stay thy revengeful hand, thou hast no cause to fear. Open the door, secure, foolhardy king. Shall I for love speak treason to thy face? Open the door or I will break it open. Enter Duke of York. What is the matter, uncle? Speak. Recover breath, tell us how near is danger that we may arm us to encounter it. Peruse this writing here, and thou shalt know the treason that my haste forbids me show. Remember, as thou readst, thy promise passed, I do repent me. Read not my name there. My heart is not confederate with my hand. It was villain ere thy hand did set it down. I tore it from the traitor's bosom, king. Fear and not love begets his penitence. Forget to pity him, lest thy pity prove a serpent that will sting thee to that. O heinous, strong and bold conspiracy, O loyal father of a treacherous son, thou sheer immaculate and silver fountain from when this stream through muddy passages hath held his current and defiled himself. Thy overflow of good converts to bad, and thy abundant goodness shall excuse this deadly blot in thy distressing son. So shall my virtue be his vices bought, and he shall spend mine honor with his shame, as thriftless sons their scraping father's gold. Mine honor lives when his dishonor dies, or my shamed life in his dishonor lies. Thou killst me in his life. Giving him breath, the traitor's lives, the true man's put to death. What ho, my liege! For God's sake, let me in! What shrill-voiced suppliant makes this eager cry? A woman and thy aunt, great king. Tis I. Speak with me. Pity me. Open the door. A beggar begs that never begged before. Our scene is altered from a serious thing and now changed to the beggar and the king. My dangerous cousin, let your mother in. I know she has come to pray for your foul sin. If thou do pardon whosoever pray, more sins for this forgiveness prosper may. This festered joint cut off, the rest, rest sound. This let alone will all the rest confound. Enter Duchess of York. Oh, king, believe not this hard-hearted man. Love, loving not itself, none other can. Thou frantic woman, what dost thou make here? Shall thy old dugs once more a traitor rear? Sweet York, be patient. Hear me, gentle liege. Kneels. Rise up, good aunt. Not yet I thee beseech. 
For ever will I walk upon my knees and never see day that the happy sees till thou give joy, until thou bid me joy by pardoning Rutland, my transgressing boy. Unto my mother's prayers, I bend my knee. Against them both my true joints bended be. I'll thou thrive if thou grant any grace. Pleads he in earnest, look upon his face. His eyes do drop no tears. His prayers are in jest. His words come from his mouth, ours from our breast. He prays but faintly and would be denied. We pray with heart and soul and all beside. His weary joints would gladly rise, I know. Our knees shall kneel till the ground, till to the ground they grow. His prayers are full of false hypocrisy, ours of true zeal and deep integrity. Our prayers do outpray his. Then let them have that mercy which true prayer ought to have. Good and stand up. Nay, Please. do not say stand up. Say pardon first, and afterwards stand up. If I were with thy, if I were thy nurse, thy tongue to teach, pardon should be the first word of thy speech. I never longed to hear a word till now. Say pardon, king. Let pity teach thee how. The word is short, but not so short as sweet. No word like pardon, for king's mouths so meet. Speak it in French, king. Say pardonnez-moi. Dost thou teach pardon, pardon to destroy? Oh, my sour husband, my hard-hearted lord. What set that sets the word itself against the word? Speak pardon, as tis current in our land. The chopping French, we do not understand. Thine eye begins to speak. Set thy tongue there, or in thy piteous heart plant thou thine ear, that hearing how our plaints and prayers do pierce pity may move thee, pardon, to rehearse. Good aunt, stand up. I do not sue to stand. Pardon is all the suit I have in hand. I pardon him as God shall pardon me. Oh, happy vantage of a kneeling knee. Yet am I sick for fear? Speak it again. Twice saying pardon doth not pardon twain, but makes one pardon strong. With all my heart, I pardon him. A god on earth thou art. But for our trusty brother-in-law and the abbot, with all the rest of that consorted crew, destruction straight shall dog them at the heels. 
good uncle helped to order several powers to Oxford and where these traitors are. They shall not live within this world, I swear, but I will have them if I once know where. Uncle, farewell, and cousin to adieu. Your mother shall hath prayed and prove you true. Come, my old son. I pray God make thee new. Excent. Scene four, the same. Enter Exton and servant. It shall not mark the king what words he spake. Have I no friend will rid me of this living fear? Was it not so? These were his very words. Have I no friend, quoth he. He spake it twice and urged it twice together, did he not? Uh, he did. And speaking it, he wistly looked on me and who should say, I would thou wert the man that would divorce this terror from my heart, meaning the king at Pomfret. Come, let's go. I am the king's friend and will rid his foe. Exempt. Scene five, Prom. Pomfret Castle, enter King Richard. I have been studying how I may compare this prison where I live unto the world. And for because the world is populous, and here is not a creature but myself, I cannot do it. Yet I'll hammer it out. My brain I'll prove the female to my soul, my soul the father, and these two beget a generation of still-breeding thoughts. And these same thoughts people this little world in humors like the people of this world, for no thought is contented. The better sort, as thoughts of things divine, are intermixed with scruples and do set the world itself against the word. As thus, come, little ones. And then again, it is as hard to come as for a camel to thread the postern of a small needle's eye. Thoughts tending to ambition, they do plot unlikely wonders. How these vain, weak nails may tear a passage through the flinty ribs of this hard world, my ragged prison walls, and for they cannot die in their own pride. Thoughts tending to content flatter themselves that they are not the first of fortune's slaves, nor shall not be the last like silly beggars who, sitting in the stocks, refuge their shame, that many have, and others must sit there, and in this thought they may find a kind of ease, bearing their own misfortunes on the back of such as have before endured the like. Thus play I in one person many people, and none contented. Sometimes am I a king, then treasons make me wish myself a beggar, and so I am. Then crushing penury persuades me I was better when a king. Then am I kinged again, and by and by think that I am unkinged by Bolingbroke, and straight am nothing. But whate'er I be, nor I nor any man, that but man is with nothing shall be pleased till he be eased with being nothing. Music, do I hear? Ah, ah, keep time. How sour sweet music is when time is broke and no proportion kept. 
so is it in the music of men's lives. And here have I the daintiness of ear to check time broke in a discorded string, but for the concord of my state and time had not an ear to hear my true time broke. I wasted time, and now doth time waste me. For now hath time made me his numbering clock. My thoughts are minutes, and with sighs they jar their watches on unto mine eyes, the outward watch, where to my finger, like a dial's point, is pointing still and cleansing them from tears. Now, sir, the sound that tells what hour it is are clamorous groans which strike upon my heart, which is the bell. So sighs and tears and groans show minutes, times, and hours. But my time runs posting on in Bolingbroke's proud joy while I stand fooling here his jack of the clock. This music mads me. Let it sound no more. For though it have hope madmen to their wits, in me it seems it will make a wise man mad. Yet blessing on his heart that gives it me, for tis a sign of love, and love to Richard is a strange brooch in this all-hating world. Enter groom of the stable. Hail, royal prince. Thanks, noble peer. The cheapest of us is ten groats too dear. What art thou, and how comest thou hither, where no man comes but that sad dog that brings me food to make misfortune live? I was the poor groom of thy stable, king, when thou wert king, who, travelling towards York with much ado at length, have gotten leave to look upon my sometimes royal master's face. Oh, how it yearned my heart when I beheld in London streets that coronation day, when Bolingbroke rode on Roan Barbary, that horse that thou so often hast bestrid, that horse that I so carefully have dressed. Rode he on Barbary? Tell me, gentle friend, how went he under him? So proudly, as if he disdained the ground. So proud that Bolingbroke was on his back? That jade hath et bread from my royal hand. This hand hath made him proud with clapping him. Would he not stumble? Would he not fall down, since pride must have a fall and break the neck of that proud man that did usurp his back? Forgiveness, horse, why do I rail on thee, since thou created to be awed by man was born to bear? I was not made a horse, and yet I bear a burden like an ass, spurred, galled, and tired by jouncing Bolingbroke. Interkeeper with a dish. Bello, give place. Here is no longer stay. If thou lovest me, tis time thou wert away. What my tongue dares not, that my heart shall say. Exit. My lord, will it please you to fall too? Taste of it first, as thou wast wont to do. My lord, I dare not. Sir Pierce of Exton, who lately came from the king, commands the contrary. Devil take Henry of Lancaster and thee. Patience is stale and I am weary of it. Beats the keeper. Help! 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 Enter Exton and servants armed. How now? What means death in this rude assault? Villain, thy own hand yields thy death's instrument. Snatching an axe from a servant and killing him. 
Go thou and fill another room in hell. He kills another, then Exton strikes him down. That hand shall burn in never-quenching fire that staggers thus my person. Exton, thy fierce hand hath with the king's blood stained the king's own land. Mount, mount, my soul, thy seat is up on high, whilst my gross flesh sinks downward here to die. Dies. Is full of valors of royal blood. Both have I spilled of what the deed were good, for now the devil told me that I did well, says that this deed is chronicled in hell. This dead king to the living king I'll bear. Take hence the rest and give them burial here. Exempt. Scene six, Windsor Castle. Flourish, enter Henry Bolingbroke, Duke of York, and with other lords in attendance. Kind Uncle York, the latest news we hear is that the rebels have consumed with fire our town of Chichester and Gloucestershire. But whether they be tain or slain, we hear not. Enter Northumberland. Welcome, my lord. What is the news? First, to thy sacred state wish I all happiness. The next news is, I have to London sent the heads of Salisbury, Spencer, Blunt, and Kent. The manner of their takings may appear at large discourse in this paper here. We thank thee, gentle Percy, for thy pains, and to thy worth will add right worthy gains. Enter Lord Fitzwater. My lord, I have from Oxford sent to London the heads of Brockus and Sir Bennet Seeley, two of the dangerous consorted traitors that sought at Oxford thy dire overthrow. Thy pains, Fitzwater, shall not be forgot. Right noble is thy merit, will I wot. Enter Henry Percy and the Bishop of Carlisle. The grand conspirator, conspirator, abbot of Westminster, with clog of conscience and sour melancholy, hath yielded up his body to the grave. But here is Carlisle living to abide the kingly doom and sentence of his pride. Carlisle, this is your doom. Choose out some secret place, some reverend moon, some reverend room, more than thou hast, and with it joy thy life. Thou as thou livest in peace, die free from strife. For thou, mine enemy, thou hast ever been. High sparks of honor in thee have I seen. Enter Exton with persons bearing a call. Great King, within this coffin I present thy buried fear. Arian all breathless lies, the mightiest of thy enemies, Richard of Bordeaux, by me hither brought. Exton, I thank thee not, for thou hast wrought a deed of slander with thy fatal hand upon my head and all this famous land. From your own mouth, my lord, did I this deed. They love not poison that do poison need, nor do I thee. Though I did wish him dead, I hate the murderer, love him murdered. The guilt of conscience take thou for thy labor, but neither my good word nor princely favor. With came go wander through shades of night, and never show thy head by day nor light. Lords, I protest, my soul is full of woe, that blood should sprinkle me to make me grow. Come, mourn with me, for that I do lament, and put on sullen black incontinent. I'll make a voyage to the holy land to wash this blood off from my guilty hand. 
March sadly after, grace my mornings here in weeping after this untimely beer. Exit. <laughs>